that's okay. Like all this is going to be on YouTube now. So I guess we'll, we'll open like this. We'll say, Hey, good evening. Welcome to the Toronto beer podcast with me, Chris Schreier. And depending on where, how you're watching or listening right now, Jordan St. John, who is either above me or beside me, depending on your medium of choice, but there he is. I didn't request top billing, so it doesn't matter. You know, just the way that whoever owns Zoom made it happen. I, I believe I normally I normally uh, blame Zuckerberg for that sort of thing, but uh, oh, okay, good. I've got that muted. We're okay. That was a little hiccup. First little hiccup, but we're doing okay. We're doing okay. So, uh, hey man, good to see you. Thanks for hanging. Yeah. Out. It's good to be anywhere. You know, <laughs> what's that from? It's good to be here. It's good to be anywhere. I think it was George Carlin. If you got a postal code, I'll be there. Yes, that does make sense. I'll buy that. I'll buy that. Uh, hey, man. So, uh, Jordan, for those of you who are totally unfamiliar, uh, another of, um, I wouldn't quite say, I, I would never deign to call ourselves OG. I don't think you're allowed to uh, make that uh, that claim uh, oneself. But it would be fair to say um, we've both been hanging out uh, in this community of craft beer people for 12 years, 13 years? Yeah, probably like I got into Volo around 2006, so 2007 maybe. So, you know, I've been around for a while and you've been around for about the same amount of time. Yep, give or take. I wasn't, uh, I didn't get super regular at Volo until maybe a year later than that, but uh, that's certainly, I think, where we first would have met. And uh, both had blogs. I had, have, I, I mean, I still have, I don't do anything with it. I mean, I, I have a map, essentially, and also some things I write periodically. Yeah. Like, mostly at this point, it's data analysis and demography stuff. And sometimes, you know, if I'm feeling like a little creative urge, I'll throw something on the blog. Yeah. I ostensibly would say the same, except I haven't. I think the last thing I put on the blog was a review of uh, Doc Purdue's Bobcat from, um, help me out, Cowbell. Yeah, that, that would have come out in like 2017, so. Seems about right. Yeah. But uh, in the meantime, again, if you don't know Jordan, uh, with uh, um, our friend Robin co-wrote the Ontario Craft Beer Guide. Guides? Do we call it singular or plural now? Because there's multiple editions. Well, I mean, the, the thing is, there's two of them. The second one is probably only four years out of date at this point. So I think, you know, we're, we're never going to update that. There's too much work. Yeah. And it doesn't, it's not really lucrative enough to be an ongoing concept. So we have the podcast now. We have the Ontario Craft Beer Guide, the podcast, because we are not creative enough to have come up with anything. Yeah, that was going to be the next, by the way, the next step in the process. Um, I was going to point out Penguin Random House or whoever isn't keeping you on retainer, right? Uh, no, it was, it was Dunder and Publishing in Canada. Okay. And they're, you know, they're, they're good yeah. for Canada. But the thing is... In order to be a best-selling author in Canada, and I don't think a lot of people understand this, you need to sell like 5,000 copies. Yeah, I remember seeing on a Dragon's Den or something, and somebody said, oh, oh they, they, were, they were pitching that they were going to make a graphic novel of uh, a story about their dog, which was like a chihuahua or whatever. And they were like, okay, and why would we fund this? And they were like, it's going to sell 500,000 copies. And they were like, not in Canada, it's not. <laughs> 
They're like, if it sells 500 copies, you'll be doing pretty well with a Chihuahua graphic novel. <laughs> it's interesting. Publishing in Canada is, is super weird in the sense that we certainly made more money selling author copies directly to breweries. Right. Oh, like, for sure. I'm sure. Like, I'm pretty sure that we haven't ever got royalties off the second version of that. But yeah. we made like a bunch of money off the off the front of it, so it was fine. And the uh, the credential that you get from doing that huge. Yeah, I mean, at at no point will anybody ever say, "Oh, you never did anything." Yeah, just, oh like, my god, he's the craft beer guy. I wrote a book that has a second edition, so yeah, yeah. suck on that. Um, no, that's fantastic. And then, yes, as noted, also uh, podcasters uh, now talking about the Ontario craft beer scene. Um, with uh, certainly more insight and intelligence than I managed to string together most Mondays. So uh, definitely look them up. Although I do appreciate that you also went with what I call the obvious naming convention. What's it a podcast about? It's the Ontario Craft Beer Guide podcast. <laughs> hey, Chris, what's your podcast about? It's the Toronto Beer Podcast. What's it about? I think the answer's in the name. <laughs> it, it's nice in the sense that you've got a platform to start from. Yeah. People know what to expect. Yeah, does what it does on the tin. One of my favorite podcasts at the moment is this thing from England called the Beef and Dairy Network podcast. Oh, and yeah, I've never listened to that, but I keep hearing about it and thinking I should. It's marvelously absurd, and the, the commitment to the platform of it is, is fantastic. I mean, there's, there's not one true thing in the entire run of the podcast so far, as far as I can tell. Uh, it's just people making stuff up. But because they're in a little universe, uh, you know, the comedy is extremely absurd. Yeah. It's really good. That's fantastic. Um, but I mean, you know, you've got a platform to start from, like like the Ontario Craft Beer Guide, the podcast. Totally. Uh, okay, now we're all caught up. Oh, and the other thing, of course, you teach, I don't want to get the course wrong, the beer appreciation and sensory evaluation or something like that yeah, at George Brown College. It, it's now a three-course certificate. Uh, I took over Stephen Beaumont's uh, beer appreciation course. Uh, I think from um, Jesse Valens, who taught it once, and then Troy Birch was before him. Mm. And uh, I guess those guys were doing it like, you know, they have other careers. And by the time I got there, they were sort of looking to maybe expand a little bit. So I've got a beer and food pairing course. And also uh, the one we started tonight is the beer two class. It's grain to glass. So we're tasting uh, like wort that they're creating at home from barley. And then tasting the individual grain treatment next to the beer that it's in and then creating a flavor profile based on that using some fairly advanced like spreadsheeting technology just so people can see where flavors come from and how they derive, that kind of thing. It's uh, completely insane. I don't know why, I would, why I'm doing it that way. I've never seen anybody else think about it that way. Um, it produces some pretty competent tasters though. Yeah, I was going to say, based on your, your posts and such, what I've seen, it seems to be working. So uh, I'd say stick with it. Hey, speaking of the way things taste, um, we got some great um, beers. Uh, I was going to say first time that a guest did this. So the deal is we're going to drink some mascot beers, not because Jordan has any particular affiliation with mascot, uh, more just I said, what should we do? And uh, he said, have you had anything from mascot recently? And I said, maybe not ever, definitely not recently. So uh, he did all the legwork and all I had to do is go pick up some beers. So uh, what do you think we should start with? Uh, bear in mind, there's a good chance we could get through all four 
especially if we're not even drinking fulls, but I only brought one glass, so I am. Um, but uh, uh, he, he's a pro. Uh, but uh, but yeah, obviously, I, I think we're going to start with either the, the rice lager or the pili would be my expectation. Well, I think we have to start with the rice lager. It seems like it's lighter in flavor. That's my expectation. So I'm just going to pull that out of the old, uh, the old ice box here. Yeah, I mean, the, the mascot thing is, is really interesting. Uh, the last thing I wrote for the blog before the shutdown was actually a uh, like a blog post review of um, Mascot's new King Street location. Right, which is beautiful. This is the first time I'd ever been in there. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really good. Uh, the only problem is that they opened, I want to say like fall of 2019. Mm, just enough time to get comfortable before they had to close. <laughs> yeah, and, and when I got there in February of 2020, they were literally in the process of hiring people in order right. to start up that spring service because they've got a big patio out back. Yeah. Which is open now in case anybody likes the sound of these beers. You can go there and try them there. They also have a big patio front now too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's kind of weird in the sense that it was sort of the last thing before we shut down. And now that we're kind of opening back up a little bit, I figured maybe mascot plus kyle who hooked us up yeah uh he's been doing some consulting work for that brewery and he had been meaning to get some of these beers in front of me for a while and i thought what better time to do it than when i'm sitting here talking to chris schreier two birds toronto, toronto beer podcast toronto beer chris schreier toronto beer podcast uh exactly so what we have here this is mascot are we gonna call that cheve cheve yeah, i think so Chive? Because chive doesn't seem right. No, and in Spanish, you generally pronounce most of the letters, and I'm going to assume it's Spanish. Yeah. So we got to pronounce that last E. Uh, and it is a rice lager. Uh, I don't want to read too much about it. There isn't too much information to read on the can, so no worries there. Um, I know very little about this. I looked at it briefly on the website, um, uh, but that's about it. So uh, we can just dive right on in. Very active carbonation. Holy moly. Yeah, I mean, it's really trickling up from the bottom there at a pretty good clip. Hmm. Not a lot of head retention, which I guess is normal because, you know, rice doesn't have a lot of protein, not a lot of stuff to hold that matrix together. Yeah, I'm wondering, well, we'll find out, I think, on the palate uh, what what kind of percentage we're looking at with the rice, but I tend to agree. I think you're right that there's enough there that, yeah, we've uh, we've lost some of that proteiny goodness. Mm -hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. Have you had a sip yet? Yeah. The rice comes off a lot nuttier than I was expecting it to. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I've had a bunch of rice beers this year. People kept dropping beer off, which happens. Um, but one of the ones I actually buy is the Collective Arts Audio Visual Lager. Mm -hmm. And that's like a brown rice syrup. So it's got that slightly nuttier texture to it. Like it's... Um, slightly darker I, I quite like that and then there was one uh, i think it was common good they had a collaboration with rorschach that used uh, glutinous rice like black rice right i haven't had that one it came out a uh, very strange color and a very strange aroma and uh, it, it, was a, it was a valiant attempt it's right i mean uh that sometimes those dark husked glutinous rices if you use them in in uh 
yeah, like, oh, I'm going to sound like such a douchebag here, but if you use them in a kanji or something like that, um, rather than what you would expect dark brown or almost a black color, yeah, what you end up with is something somewhere in the neighborhood of purple or like dark beet red kind of. Yeah, that, that's yeah. about where it came out, actually. Yeah. So kind of, one, of the, one of the really frustrating things about teaching people about beer is you have all these tools that you're meant to be able to use, like the, you know, the SRM chart. Mm-hmm. And then over the last like five years or so, everything's now pink or purple. Or Yeah, yeah, there's, there isn't pink or purple on the SRM chart. Um, mm-hmm. uh, let's talk a little bit more about this. So, I mean, it's a pretty straight up lager. I mean, pretty, there's two row in there for sure. Nice multi snap to it. Um, but yeah, that, like I said, the rice that I'm getting is it's not rice syrupy. It's like nutty rice almost. Um, yeah. I'm and then, curious whether it's, it's like a brown rice or whether they're using just some kind of um, probably raw sort of thing. Yeah, you would assume. Doesn't have anything on the can about it. Um, of course not. Why would, you, why would you tell anybody anything? Ah, you know. Let's see if we can find out a little bit more about it. Um and, yet, and then, yeah, hop presence, kind of grassy, uh, maybe something a little floral. Um, Very small amount of citric, like lemon around the edges as well. Yeah, but, I'd buy into that. I'd buy that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a lager. <laughs> yeah. It's more interesting than, than Corona, which is a corn-based lager. So that's saying something. Oh, absolutely. I mean... The kind of thing that you're thinking about with mascot, and I don't know how they're approaching this. I always, I always find it fascinating when you've got a brewery like that, where you've got the Etobicoke facility, and then you've got the King Street location. And in the summer, the majority of sales are going to be patio. So you're, you have to be aiming, you know, at that patio. Because that's going to be all your on-site sales. So some kind of, well, they actually use the word crusher here on the label. Yeah. But I mean, this is, quite light in body it's quite carbonated it's very refreshing yeah no absolutely and yeah um it's not an essay beer is what i call them right it's mm. uh you uh you drink it and you like it but yeah it's got enough complexity off of that rice that's interesting um it's interesting you said lemon and i agree but it's not it's 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 almost like lemon adjacent yeah. There's elements that are lemony without it being tart or, or citrusy necessarily quite. Well, on, I remember on untapped. It gives me no information. Of course it doesn't. It's untapped. I know. There's not I a saw, lot of information on this beer. I saw a brewer blow up earlier this week saying, oh, for the love of God, why does untapped still exist? We should get rid of it. We should ban untapped. Stop using untapped. And uh, the thing I've realized very uh, slowly over the last month or two is that brewers should in no way ever uh, have any contact with the general public. It, it doesn't really work out for anybody. To, to be honest with you, like I'm not trying to suggest for a minute here that I've come up with a new idea. Untapped is the Yelp of the beer world. Absolutely. And bar and restaurant owners pay attention to Yelp at their own peril. Like nothing good comes out of caring about what people say on Yelp nothing good comes out of caring what people say on Untapped. It doesn't matter. It means nothing. You would do better to ask 4chan or 8chan or whatever chan we're up to these days what their thoughts on your beer are because like you're probably going to get a roughly equal intelligent response. I'm not saying there are that Untapped is full of idiots. It's just pre, the, the prevailing 
culture on untapped is idiocy. Uh, and I don't have a lot of time for it. No, fair enough. I want to make sure I'm not dishing on somebody I know before I say this. Uh, yeah, uh, crisp, but still drinks heavy due to the sweetness. That's this beer. No, it doesn't. Um, it doesn't drink heavy and it ain't sweet. So uh, two, two out of three wrong ain't bad, I guess. It's crisp, I'll give you that. Because it warms a little bit, there's a touch more bitterness. And also I'm starting to get a little more um, ester from it. So there's starting to be a little bit of orchard fruit, maybe a little red apple specifically. Hmm. Yeah, I, I would say the hops are starting to give a little bit of an apple skinny kind of bitterness almost. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel that. I'm down. I'm down. Um, super, super cool. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I, I got to close this untapped. I got too many irons in the fire right now. Um, but uh, so let's think about this. And I know you're into this, too. This is something that you and I often discuss is uh, food pairings with beers. Uh, again, pretty straight ahead. I mean, we would call this a lawnmower beer. It's uh, yeah. it's uh, it, it's it's going to go nice with uh it's interesting because i don't think i would want to necessarily play with the rice too much on this i don't think i would suggest you know like sushi or something like that to try and pull out some of the ricey notes i think i want to lean more into the it, it's a bit malty it's not quite crackery but there's a bit of a yeah but, well what i said a kind of a two-row maltiness uh so something maybe more in the bready kind of range or crackery kind of range what i'd practically do with it like uh, when i was doing the last version of the beer and food bearing course I've made myself sort of an idiot for that in the sense that there are three assignments that happen throughout the course. And because, you know, I think it was Frank Zappa who once said, okay, I'll do the stupid thing first when he was trying to get people to sing along from stage. Right. Right. Um, I, I tend to demo all the assignments myself. And the, the pairing one we did this time around, I got a uh, Thai lamb curry or something like that. I forget exactly the name of it but it was from Isander up on um, Young Street here. We got uh, really lovely Thai fresh rolls, and I think you could work with that. I mean, you're not, you don't have the same volume of rice that you have in a sushi kind mm -hmm. of area, but with the wraps they were doing, they were using two sort of skins of rice paper on each of them. Hmm. Did they do any noodles? Sometimes you get the rice vermicelli in the coal roll. No, no, it was, it was all uh, vegetables and uh, herbs and sort of, mint cilantro that kind of thing bell pepper cucumber and you know with the the requisite sort of peanut sauce i think that would work pretty well here in the sense that you've got the nutty rice character and you've got you know those fresher vegetables and herbs that kind of pull out the hops a little maybe give that more platform to work with yeah i was gonna say especially like the mint and maybe a bit of thai basil which generally shows a bit more pepper than basil often has uh you might start yeah kind of playing off some of the some of that herbally qualities against some of the the hop quality for sure and as you say yeah the rice uh especially one of the things is <laughs> sometimes cold rolls like that yeah the wrapper's just holding things together but other times it actually becomes a flavor component and if they were using a good enough quality rice wrapper that yeah you actually get some rice character out of it um that'd be good the one thing i would say with this would be like um, sometimes you get the very, like, I think it's the Thai style of peanut sauce is very sweet. Like it's got a lot of palm sugar in it. Um, and I think it's the Vietnamese one. It's sweet, but it's not as sweet. It's not quite as, as sugary. 
Um, and I would I would probably lean towards the less sweet side of it. Yeah, um, I, you I don't definitely. lose the the malts, you know. Because typically that one has fish sauce in it, right? It's uh, yeah, yeah. I really yeah. love. It. Which reminds me, I got to buy more squid brand fish sauce. I use Golden Boy. Golden Boy. Okay. I used to use cock brand because I liked pointing out that it, everything tasted better with my cock sauce in it. Um, but then I actually, uh, on a bit of a dare, got like four different brands and tasted them. Yeah. And um, the cock brand was just fishy and salty and not much else. Whereas uh, Squid was very good. And there was another one, Golden Boy and a third one that were all pretty good. But then the Golden Boy one I liked the most because the picture is of sort of a maybe Buddha-esque baby boy holding a brand of Golden Boy fish sauce, which has a label with the picture of the boy holding the bottle. And I mean, you can only get about three layers deep, but that's the intention is it's a, it's a feedback loop of baby boys holding bottles of fish sauce. Oh, not only do they have a, an infantile mascot, but it's infinitely recursive. Yeah, that's it's amazing. Perfect. It's great. So uh, that was the winner for me. Although, you know what? I don't, ever since they closed the TNT that was on um, Cherry on Street. Street. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have to go to Scarborough or like downtown proper to get good Asian ingredients, which is, yeah, oh, not my man. favorite. Yeah. No, there, like one of the things that happened during the pandemic, obviously there's not a huge amount of work kicking around. So, you know, being a writer on any subject is going to be hard. So like just after new year's last year, I got the fear as a freelancer. I'm sure you, you've had the fear, like how am I going to pay next month's rent? Oh my God. Oh, yeah. I need oh, yeah. to do anything I can. Try that with kids. Yeah, yeah. And I got a gig uh, doing quarter work at an event space um, over by Keel and St. Clair. It's actually the Symes, which is connected to the Junction Brewery. Yep. And, you know, I'm just, just moving chairs around or whatever. And at the end of the day, you've done some physical labor. You feel like you've moved something from over here to just over here. There's a sense of accomplishment. Yeah. There's some money. But... Eventually, like everything got better, and I kept the gig because I quite liked having an excuse to go to Nations. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a reasonable uh, decision, I think. Well, not only you know do you get to go to Nations and buy a bunch of really interesting Asian ingredients, but you've already paid for that trip. It's covered. Yeah, you might as well. You're there. Exactly. Yeah, there was a period where there was. Um, there still is an Asian grocer at Birch Mountain Danforth in uh, in Scarborough. Um, it's called something now, forgotten. It's changed hands, I think, two times uh, since its glory days. But in its peak, it was a, a shop called Fuyao, which they the people who own that one opened one at Midland in Danforth, so further along. Um, and it's pretty good, but at its peak, that Fuyao at Midland or at Birch Mountain Danforth had everything everything like you name it they had um there's a brand a thai brand of coconut milk you see various other of their products i don't remember how to pronounce it like chakota or something like that but the the coconut milk is really unusual to see you do see it downtown and stuff but you'd never seen it they always had it and it's really good it was like 26 grams of fat per per jar and it's like normally you're down around 11 like like that's what i want i want my coconut milk fatty i want coconut whipping cream and they had it they always had it i, I love that the selection of snacks 
typically. Yeah. It's just, it's like, it's, there's so much variety. I mean, one of the things I've been playing around with is like snacks with different textures. And one of the things I had to make for the beer and food pairing course this time around, I didn't have to, but like there's a bakery up the street with Brazilian specialties and they make pau de queijo. It's like a tapioca cheese bun. Right. So it's got this really chewy texture, but it's also got the melty cheese and the salt and all that. And we ended up making that with uh, discount Wensleydale that had chocolate in it, and it was not massively successful. But like, I was, well, it was a dollar. What are you going to do? Um, of course, it's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I ate them anyway. So, but like the, the chewiness of the texture, like all the different textural elements of the different snacks is so compelling. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's actually the the TNT on cherry. One of the things they had their bakery section was ridiculous, and like they have really good Portuguese egg tarts, which I sorely miss. Um, but yeah, same deal. Like random weird things that like never knew what you were getting. Be like, oh yeah, I'll pick up one of those and see what happens. And you bite into it, and it's like, oh, this is like puff pastry with Chinese chives and almond butter i think <laughs> you're like not bad so okay. i'll have another bite <laughs> i mean even the sushi was pretty good yeah and they had the hot uh, like this is turning into such a painful memory they had the hot food bar that was like all canadian style chinese food and often um when they were still open uh, eric and my wife was still working on saturdays and it wasn't an uncommon thing that i would take the kids on a saturday around 11 o'clock in the morning and we would do a shop and we would pick up containers from the, the hot food bar. I mean, little limited because we don't eat meat and like most of it's chicken or pork, but still like we would get like some cool shrimps and some noodle dishes and stuff. And like, oh yeah, it was great. Oh, I missed that place. So sad. Yeah, that I only got there once. I was, like, I got there one time and I bought a bunch of really interesting stuff. There was like La Gama and um, for some reason they had Cafe Du Monde, like the chicory coffee, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I bought a bunch of stuff and I came home and I was like, we have a Patreon channel on our podcast that we don't really update frequently enough. We're kind of working on it. Um, but one of the things I was doing was like video reviews of stuff. And I was going to review a Yuzu beer. I was like, where do I get Yuzu? Obviously you go to TNT, they're going to have Yuzu. And I'm like, I'm filming the thing and I'm filming the travelogue to get there. And I got there literally the day that the Cherry Street Bridge got stuck in an upright position before they had to dismantle it. Yeah. So I'm looking at it and I'm like, so do I have to walk 45 minutes around to get Yeah, yeah you got to go over to Logan. <laughs> so we didn't do that one. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> um, I just loved, I, we would do, I, I did some reading and learned that what we eat as Pad Thai in North America is like, it's like, it's like chicken balls with sweet and sour sauce to what real Pad Thai is. And so looked up like, oh, what do you actually have to do to make a real pad thai? And then went to TNT and was buying like Chinese chives and banana flowers and these little tiny dried shrimps and stuff. <laughs> Made this massive pot of it. It was fantastic. The kids hated it. Yep. Um, they wanted peanuts and cilantro and lime juice, um, but it was fantastic. But same deal. Like I was just in heaven. Like, oh, I've never seen this before. Let's pick some up and see what you get. And they had a confection aisle that had all these Japanese candies in it that were like super fun, happy, good luck candy. And you're like, yeah, I want to be super fun, happy and have good luck. Give me some of those candies. 
Now, let me ask, were, were you a picky eater as a kid, or were you always, like, an adventurous eater? Uh, I, would, I would say neither. I wasn't particularly precious, but I wasn't adventurous by any standards. It was going to uh, culinary school that... Uh, that actually that's entirely true i probably got a little bit more adventurous in my later teenage years and that had a lot to do with being um a, a bit of a weirdo kid in scarborough um incidentally that's also how i got into craft beer uh was that if i were to were to go to parties i knew that nobody would steal my beer if i was drinking a moosehead or a keith's so I started drinking Moosehead and Keith's because I could just leave it in the fridge and nobody would touch it because they were all drinking Black Label or like vodka um, and in and, and, and God knows what. It was terrible. Um, and similarly, I, I think I started expanding my, my uh, palate repertoire a little bit in high school, almost. It's not quite like, I, it was performative. Really. I was going to say, it's not like contrarian quite, but it was in a performative way. But then when I went to culinary school, I was just like, Let's go. And then I think I read uh, Kitchen Confidential yep. and was like, yeah, I'm all in. What do you got? What's the weirdest thing you got? I'll try. We'll see what happens. That that book was responsible for a lot of problems in the world, didn't it? <laughs> like, you wouldn't be here without that. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be here without that. Oh, my gosh. Uh, like, it's funny. There are a handful of books uh, that genuinely changed significant aspects of my life. Um, and that was definitely one of them, like in a big way. And it's funny, like I was already in culinary school when I read it. Uh, actually, I might have, I actually might have been out of school. I might have been working at Le Select when I first read it. Um, but uh, so like I was already in the scene, but it was just a completely different thing. And it, part of it was it kind of normalized what I was doing. I was like, oh, wow, I, obviously there are other people doing this out there. But like, Working in a professional kitchen is a very, as the book describes, unusual and it's maybe not unique, but it's very different. And it was very um, affirming that I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, these absolute weirdo, generally wonderful, but horrible people that I work with. This is normal. This is fine. They're good. We, we can do this. So, uh, Hey, where are you at on your glass? Because I'm empty. I need some pilly. That's good. I like this. They changed the label on it. It used to be just a yellow and white label, but they've got uh, a lot of color on it now. Kind it's of a very attractive, yeah, very laundry in the stained glass kind of jobby. My ring light is hot tonight. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, mascot I always find interesting because they got um, a lot of different pedigree. Like they started as a rooftop patio, really. Right. And they were kind of contract brewing initially. And then they had their own like little brew pubby kind of thing across from Yuck Yucks. And I remember oh. reviewing that. And in order to do that, I had to go talk to uh, Siobhan McPherson. Ah, plus. Yeah. She's still living on a boat somewhere. I think she's on a boat. Yeah. Last time I saw Siobhan, she, she bought a boat off and sailed, bought a boat and sailed off in it. Don't think anyone's going to miss me when I'm gone. No, what did Jimmy Buffett said? Something like that. I don't know, man. It was pretty much Lyle Lovett, too. <laughs> um, uh, but she was she was gone. She is um, really interesting. Her approach to brewing was very microcosmy, kind of like uh, lots of little pinches of ingredients hmm. in order to get a lot of different textures and a lot of different effects. Um, so really well considered. But... 
you know, very different from the initial mascot idea, which was that they're going to contract brew like a lager and a thing. Right. And they, they had the big patio and that was cool at the time. And then they shoehorned a brewery into a building that should not really have had a brewery in it. I don't think anybody can make the argument that that should have existed. But it was really wonderful. I mean, they had a, a, the chef was from some, he might have been a fat duck alumni. Okay. Like he must have, might have worked for Heston Blumenthal at one point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's sitting there in a kitchen that not a huge number of people are going to off of Blue Jay's way with like really great beer and really great food, but an ambiance that was, and I want to, cyberpunk, but like a little grim. Huh. I mean, it was, it was, it was a fun room. It was comfortable, but it was, the lighting was very low. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I never went in there. Um, This is interesting, by the way, I'm, I'm getting very distracted by this beer. Um, That's very different than it used to be. It's interesting. It's interesting, right? Um, I was going to say briefly, um, even in the the new space on on King, having just walked in and having a quick little chat, I mean, it had a very King Streety kind of below grade kind of vibe to it, low ceilings, kind of sprawling space. Um, but uh, I mean, in in insofar as it could be kind of a nice opening, kind of brightish kind of spot. Um, but I just thought, oh man, like this place feels. This place feels like a brewery, a brew pub felt like 10 years ago. <laughs> I was like, this yeah. feels very familiar. It wasn't like there weren't, there was no airs. It was like, yeah, these guys are making good things. This is pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. I remember going in there and like coming in out of the winter in mid February in 2020, it was just like, okay, the lighting's a little Miami. Like it's like white brick, but the lighting yep. is kind of bluish. Yeah, so, totally. Yeah. Got that Miami Beach quality to it. And they were playing around with a lot of interesting stuff. They had some double IPAs. Uh, I think they must have had like a base brew and then they dry hopped it with different stuff. So they were getting the maximum utility out of the batch in order to see what people enjoyed. Um, But the the mascot Pilsner has always been their sort of flagship. The fact that it's as different as it is is surprising to me. Yeah, I was going to say, let's jump onto this. This has got a real new world kind of hop vibe going on right now. Yeah, it absolutely does. It was, this is not at all what I was expecting from this beer. It's not bad, but I was. this is not what I was preparing myself for when, when we had it. Definitely glad we had that rice lager first. Yeah, well, I think that the uh, the original version of this Pilsner, if I'm remembering correctly, used Weinstefaner uh, lager yeast. Okay. The little banana-y. Kind yeah, of. just a touch. Because eh? I was thinking, this has got a bit of a fruity thing on the nose, but as soon as it was in my mouth, I'm getting almost like a like a melony quality off it almost yeah there's uh, that little bit of musk melon cantaloupe kind of thing and a little more tropical fruit as well i mean you can lean practically to papaya but not quite maybe oh by the way we've got high gravity supply uh joined us a good evening good evening high gravity uh, and they're saying they always thought the pilsner was closer to a lagered pale ale i could get behind that idea it's definitely got uh i think there's a lot of <laughs> There's a lot of middle space in that Venn diagram these days for a lot of uh, brewers working with uh, with pilsners or pils and versus a lagered uh, a lagered uh, pale ale, um, but yeah, the hop character on it is both um, assertive and quite new world. It's not yeah. it's not drinking like it's got saws in it. You know what I mean? 
Well, that's probably just as well. I mean, if you're thinking about how to reboot a brewery after a pandemic, which is kind of what you're doing in the case of a, a place that hasn't had a patio or a tap room for a while, and weren't really selling out of their Etobicoke facility for a good portion of the pandemic, um, you know, you probably don't want to try and be BIM. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no point in going up against that. Um, Indy Ale House is making some fine Italian pilsners. There's uh, People's Pint. They're making some great lager. Yeah. The, the IPL category, like the idea of a new world hop, pretty much unexplored here. Um, you got Cameron's, of course, but that's from about five years ago. It's not all that groundbreaking. Yeah. Yeah, this one. And what are we at? Is the alcohol in this five even? Yeah. Hang on five. It's it's very interesting. I do like it. Um, it it it's got more going on where it isn't a beer. So like today, I got home. I'd worked all day as per usual. Did some running in the morning. Did some cycling. Um, hit my physio appointment. Came home and and knew I had we had some nice shrimp curry, uh, uh, red red curry sauce. So got changed. Dried off some of the sweat. <laughs> Gross. Um, and grabbed. Uh, actually, I grabbed the the Hellas beer from from Godspeed, um, which I was fully prepared to just suck out of the can because I just was thirsty and hot, um, and that was doing it. I mean, I would drink this in that setting, but this is a little bit more of a thinker. Um, it's doing more things in my mouth. Uh, you getting like a like kind of a. I'm worrying that my brain's making associations that aren't there. Um, sort of an earthy, like when I think of it in terms of hops, I'm thinking that kind of dank piney forest, but it's not that, but like a, a damp earthy kind of thing going on, not in, a, in an off way, but just something in the hops has a bit of a. Think, think strawberry patch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like the green parts of strawberries. And there, there is a small berryish note. There's a little red licorice character in there. It's um, it's it's quite interesting. I mean, yeah, yeah, no, it definitely is. Just very surprising. <laughs> I honestly have no idea quite what hop they're using here, or what blend of hops they're using here. Yeah, but I, I'm kind of okay with that. Well, now going to the can. Yeah. They say flipping the script on the classic Pilsner with a dry hop that adds piney citrus and floral notes. Not getting a ton of pine, but that's just me. Uh, citrus either. Fair. The hops complement the graham cracker malt character with a lager clean, crisp finish. No word what the hop selection is, but it is dry hopped, which makes sense. Um, well, yeah, but I mean, the other thing about Mascot that you have to remember is that, you know, the audience for this beer is not necessarily people who are going to be looking for the information on it and i would bet you that the servers at the brew pub uh on king street know exactly what hops are in it and they can probably tell you at least the bartender could yeah but like the majority of people who are sitting on that patio they're gonna be under 30 they might not care a huge amount about that yeah a lot um, of foot traffic on that brewery now were you uh you were down on saturday or sunday to pick up saturday ghost town yeah man nobody except that uh, the people who were down there were under 40 I don't know if you noticed it, but everybody was younger than us. Down yeah, I, I saw I'm like, used to that, uh, but uh, yeah, definitely younger. But but there was nobody. Like yeah, 
I got on the, the streetcar. I took the streetcar. I was going to ride my bike, but it looked like it might rain. It didn't. Uh, the streetcar was basically empty along King Street. It was bonkers. Really weird. Yeah, I don't know where everyone was. But I think it might look that way for a while downtown. Uh, you know, I'm curious to see what happens with all the places that really require people to be there in order to function. Yeah. It's, man, it's worrisome what's going to happen. It's worrisome what's going to happen in the fall. Um, well, uh, there's, there's this initial wave of enthusiasm, patio reopening, right? Like, you haven't been out in a while, you want to see your friends, you want to go for a drink, and then you realize that you've been sitting at home for a year, and the cost of beer sitting at home is really Way cheaper. Yeah, yeah. And going out to drink on a patio is going to cost you... Well, three times as much, maybe exactly. four. Exactly. Yeah, if you tip well, probably four. Yeah. Yeah, It's it ain't cheap. And it's time-consuming. And you have to put on clothes. like Clothes, right? Nobody likes pants. No, nobody. Um, yeah, I like. I love. I love the Cafe Tio stuff they're doing. I think streets like Queen Street should just be two lane streets from now on. Anyway, yep. Get rid of the parking. Get rid of the second lane of traffic. It annoyed the crap out of me when I needed to replace the tires on my bike and I had to drive to work. But that's a small price to pay. Well, I mean, walking up Young Street at this point, like I'm at Young and Davisville. I was walking towards Eglinton and like, this was the day they were putting them together. And like, why haven't we ever had this before? The idea of outdoor seating, why isn't it a pedestrian kind of? Yeah. Like Young Street is not, I, I appreciate that it is the main street, right? Yeah, like, but it's terrible normal. to drive. Yeah, no, and it always has been. Yeah. So if you can dissuade people from doing that, especially because they've been using the time to do signal upgrades on the TTC, yeah, not that anybody's taking that either. No, no. I've gotten a seat every time I've been on the subway for a year. (laughs) I'm used to getting seats on the street streetcar because I'm two and a half, three ish, not two and a half. Yeah, no, two and a half would be about right. Two. There's probably two stops east of me before the loop uh, at uh, at Neville Park. So typically, when the streetcar arrives going westbound, I'm one of the first people to get back on it. Um, So I never have a problem getting a seat getting on. But often if I go downtown and I don't go downtown that often, but if I do, I'm used to standing on the way back. I have not stood on the streetcar in quite a long time uh, because it's, there's nobody on it. It's crazy. The thing this is making me wonder as I'm nosing it, I got a a book back here somewhere. Uh, I don't know where it is right now. It's uh, Harold McGee's uh, nosedive. You probably have on food and cooking, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The nosedives about like uh, all of the smells in the universe and how they came to be. I was just thinking about this because I think I've seen you talking about this book before. Yeah, it, it's excellent. I think that as soon as it catches on and people understand how important it is to culinary and like brewing and all that stuff, uh, it'll be a bigger deal. Um, tried to get him on our podcast. We're not quite there yet. We don't got Harold McGee cred. But um, you, need, you need people to call his people, eh? Dude, yeah, no, I, I should probably talk to like Higgins and George Brown and see if I can get that hook up. <laughs> uh, you can get me Joe Beef. I don't know about Harold McGee. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm smelling this and wondering where the connection is between like pine and stone fruit. There's got to be some kind of 
chemical similarity? Because I, I keep thinking I smell unripe peach. But they say pine, and I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. The thing that I'm getting, and I was actually just starting to think about it in a slightly different way. The majority of the hop taste I'm getting is tasting dry hoppy. It doesn't taste brew hoppy. Um, it's got a very kind of green or, or not, not green in the sense it's young, but like a, a fresh dry hop taste. But I was also wondering, they say they dry hopped it, but I wonder when, and I wonder if either there was maybe more than one dry hopping or if the timing was at least flirting with, if not actually in a biotransformative kind of state. Yeah. But there's also something to the weight of it that's a bit different. No, there is that textural thing. The, the beer I just made with Amsterdam, uh, extra credit, we were doing the biotrans thing. Yeah. There's that, that mid-palate textural spiciness. Yeah. And it's it does a thing with the weight that the only way you can describe it is biotransformation. It isn't always, like I know sometimes it's other things, but like that's where my brain always goes. And the more I'm drinking this, I'm like, I wonder like if maybe rather than like a two day dry hop, they did like a six day and they kind of caught the tail end of the, the ferment. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I kind of like it. I, as I, as you were saying, like a little heavier on the palate, a little, little, I mean, it's not as refreshing as a Hellas or like even a Czech Pilsner. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the point, I, oh, by the way, um, High Gravity mentioned Cameron's, it's the 12 mile IPL. Um, I think this kind of lands a bit more in either that, yeah, India Pale Lager or like Lagered Pale Ale or whatever you want to call it. It's I, more of a Pale Ale kind of type drink. There's so much room for that though. Oh I mean, yeah, 100%. When, 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 what was it, Madden Noisy? came out with yeah the, i forgot about that yeah yeah because they had an ipl and it was great like the first two batches were super yeah and then they focus grouped it and they dumbed it down yeah and i remember that too i remember going to what like sauce on the danforth and like you know i'm standing over with my buddy ej and i'm trying to like find out what he should drink and like oh mad and noisy it's still in the fridge there and this is like two years after it launched and they're not really might have been the original batch yeah so yeah, uh, it went downhill in a hurry. Yeah. I remember going to a Madden Noisy lunch that might have been at the Beer Academy location. Yeah, probably. And uh, it, I, I don't know, man, that, that whole enterprise was really good. And I really kind of regret that they couldn't make something happen there in oh, what, two or three different iterations. Well, I've been thinking about it and like batch shutting down, I, I'm pretty sure it was just the 10 year lease coming up on it. I, I imagine it was a bit of that and a little bit that they were like a lot of down because their main business is daytime business traffic. Yeah. You know, they get some tourists and they get some craft beer, not many people making the trip, but most of it is like, yeah, people like, oh, let's go out and have a lunch. Let's go meet for some beers. Like, and with people not working in office towers much anymore, maybe ever again, the, the, the landlord is going to say, oh, I still want $16,000 a month in rent or whatever. And like, they have the pockets. That's nothing. Like they're paying a lot more than that on a lot of other properties, but they're also not stupid with their money. And they're like, why would we pay you that to do maybe that much in business in a month? Maybe. Yeah. Like, it, it's a weird situation. It's a shame in the sense that a lot of really talented people worked there in that building. Uh, 
like Justin Lamontagne, who's the Cicerone for the Molson people. Yeah. Six clients, I guess. And uh, Chloe was very good as a brewer. She was from Little Beasts, I think. Oh, didn't realize uh, that. Not Little Beasts, uh, Little Creatures, which are New Zealand. Oh, wow, out of Perth, Australia. Perth, Australia, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so she came over and she did that. And uh, they also had a really good bartender, Ray Swicker. Swickle? Nice guy. Um, you know, beard on point all the time. That's how you know you're a craft beer expert. Gotta know that. Uh, you gotta keep but, it just right. But he was like always on top of exactly what was happening with all the beers. And he's just a really good bartender. I was like that. Like, I, I will absolutely go somewhere where they have, you know, just really decently made beer. I don't care if Molson owns the thing. Like, yeah. If, if you got Creamore Keller beer, I will sit there and happily drink Creamore Keller beer. Till the cows come home. Pretty much. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's funny. I can't rationalize this, but for some reason, I'm more accepting of the Molson crafty things. So, Creamore, Batch, Madden Noisy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, than I am about the the, the, the Budweiser uh, Labatt no, I, equivalents. Yeah. I, I don't I care to... about Keith's IP I, I no. whatever. I just don't. I, the, the weird thing is like Goose Island, Toronto, um, initially, we had a lot of conversations about it for the Craft Beer Guide book. Right. It was like, are we going to include them or are we not going to include them? Do you know how many times I filled this growler they sent me? No times. It's still yeah. empty. Perfectly clean. It's not even uh, dusty in there. But what I realized eventually is, like, the Goose Island Brew Pub is a much better use of that space than the Finn McCools that it replaced. <laughs> and it's actually employing... I can't, I can't disagree with that. <laughs> Uh, and the brewers are using Ontario ingredients, which is something that a lot of Ontario brewers aren't doing. So it's not like I'm giving them a pass exactly, but they're worth trying. Hey, they're can I ask you a, a question? And, and I don't know how comfortably you are dancing on graves, but um, is the six, they're gone? Or are they operating somewhere else? They just closed that location. No, man, they're toast. Okay. Uh, like, <laughs> so speaking of dancing on graves, um, I would happily drink a lot of Goose Islands things over some other craft brewers. I'm not going to mention any names, um, but I like I agree with that entirely. But I just I don't know. I'm like they're fine. They don't need me. They don't need my attention. They're going to sell shit tons oh, of their yeah, beer, and they do. Yeah, they're fine. I don't but, care. Uh, the six. Uh... <laughs> oh, are we talking about them? <laughs> oh gosh. Um... Speaking of speaking of businesses that make better use of a space. <laughs> Good Lord. Uh, so I went in there, like, because I was on a mission, right? I thought, like, nobody's reviewing brewers anymore. So I, I went to all the places in Toronto that I hadn't seen reviewed. And one of them was the six. And I think I got to it, you know, before the pandemic, but maybe like November the previous year or something like that. And Chris Tower was the brewer at the time. He's now working at Toronto Brewing. He's a great guy. Um, he had some real interesting beers that he was making in his spare time at the brewery. Like, I think I can tell this tale now because he's he's gainfully employed elsewhere. And But I walked into the brewery over there and, you know, I'm going downstairs to where the takeout stuff is. Because, yeah. like, having a fridge with your beer on the main floor by the door that you can actually sell, like, people can see it, you know, that's a, that's a failing strategy. Um, so their, their bottle shop was in the basement and out of sight. Yeah. But I walked downstairs and I'm like, 
I walk in on Chris, who's watching something on TV up here, and he's also playing uh, The Binding of Isaac on his laptop. So he's got like a little platforming side scroller kind of dungeon room thing happening. Uh, or maybe he's watching somebody complete the game on YouTube. But it, it speaks of a man who is employed not quite enough. You know, there's not enough stuff to do. Yeah. I'm like, all right. Can you show me around? What's this place got? And, you know, he walked me through some of the beers and he was explaining like hop contracts and it was clear the place was going down. Right. But the thing that they did have going for them and that Collective Arts picked up, in the walk-in fridge in the basement of the six, there are a bunch of like horizontal lager tanks. They're basically tankovna. Yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's incredible the amount of potential that exists within that. Yeah. Uh, because Collective Arts in Hamilton, they're going to continue to make ales, you know, whatever. But the idea that you can have a one-off lager kind of destination in Toronto if you're Collective Arts. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's crazy. Yeah. They're going to kill. That location, once we open back up, is going to slay. Like, it's going to be great. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I remember I went... Um, I don't exactly know. I don't want to say opening night, but it might have been like grand opening nights and they might have been soft opened or whatever. Um, because Austin was their original brewer. Yeah, he was. Yeah. And uh, I like Austin. I was like, I want to, you know, support him, whatever. I know nothing about this business. And uh, so went out. So first thing is I walked in and I was like, oh, this isn't who I was expecting to be here at all. Like I am... A very underdressed, and I wasn't. I'm. I was. I was wearing more suitable clothing than I'm currently wearing. And uh, I and like the look that you've got, though. It's like, like sort of hard ticket to Hawaii. It's. Uh, you know what? This is actually this shirt's from Nicaragua. How's your Spanish? You know what that says. Drunks without borders. Drunks without borders. I bought it for uh, the equivalent of about two dollars U.S. Uh, in Granada, uh, Nicaragua. Um, anyway, uh, so I walked in. Felt felt very uncomfortable. Also, it was like a sports bar. Like there was TVs everywhere, and there was a baseball game on here and a basketball game on there. And I don't know. Oh, Ben Johnson just joined us. Better make sure we don't say anything stupid. Um, but uh, but I uh, I was like, yeah, I want to I want to I want to support. And so sat down at the bar and uh, and I said, oh, uh, like what's on? And I said, oh, we got this and this and this and this and this. I said, oh, give me a glass of whatever, the lager or whatever, the easy thing. <laughs> so they, they gave it to me and I was drinking it and I was like, okay. And at some point Austin came over, he'd seen me come in or whatever. So he came over to say, hey, we chatted a couple minutes, whatever. Talked a little bit about the beers and whatever. And um, he already was a little bit like, oh, this one, kind of like how they want it it's not exactly what i want to do i don't know uh it was one of those kind of conversations and i was like okay don't worry man i'm i'm here to support you it's okay yeah, yeah. Uh, and and the the beers ranged from like fine to pretty good um mm -hmm. but after he'd come and talked with me and then left some dude wearing a literal shiny suit came over some owner partner founder i don't know and he just started going, oh, so uh, how do you how do you know us? Oh yeah yeah no he's a great dude yeah yeah we like him a lot yeah, yeah. Uh, and so what do you do? Okay oh you do this oh well let's do some partnerships let's do this we can we can say I was like whoa hey 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 that's not what this is about I just wanted to come out and see what's happening he's like well what are you even posting to social what's your social media and I was like I'm not sure I want to talk about that because I haven't posted anything because I'm just here to support my buddy 
and so like but there was just this weird super it was just it was sleazy is what it felt like and i was like yeah, I mean, it's it always, could maybe succeed, but I'm probably not going to succeed. It's always super weird to me. Like the the launch for a business is always, I mean, sometimes I think if people are really savvy, what they do is they have two or three separate sort of sittings for a launch. Like the, the weirdest one I've ever been to in living memory is Northern Maverick. I don't know if you got invited to that, but uh, I got invited. I think I passed. Yeah, you, you were probably right to do that because it turned out they were going after two markets at the same time. They were going after the Toronto Beer Cognoscenti, which are a kind of riff, raff, rough and tumble sort of, you know the people I'm talking about. You, you've met them your entire life. I know uh, one of them very well. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's not exactly the most au fait bunch of people. We're not, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, like I'm standing there, I'm standing next to Dave Sun Lee, who at the time is I think working for Hello Magazine. Okay. And he's like, Jordan, yes. Do you understand what's going on here? And I'm like, no. There's free cheese. Mark Katrar is in charge of the charcuterie board. We're all having a great time, right? And he's like, yeah, but look across the room. Okay. You see those people over there? You, you the fancy people? Yeah, the fancy people. Uh, those are the basically the debutantes of Toronto. This is like the Toronto socialite set so on the one side of the it's very caddyshack it's very slobs versus snobs kind of thing happening and uh a little scandalizing i guess depending on what portion of the audience you are <laughs> but it was it was amazing because it was just like okay why like <laughs> for god's sake why what why are you trying to do that all at once do you remember there was it was goose island they did a launch for um Sophia and the other big bottle one that they had. It was another woman's name. I forgot. Matilda. Yeah, Sophia and Matilda. And they had it at Nota Bene. Oh, definitely a chef. Yeah, great. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure you were at that. I was at that. I can't remember who else. But I very vividly remember it was two tables, probably sat six or eight people per side. So a dozen or 16 people per table. Mm -hmm. And one table was us, the we we're paying a lot of attention to the beer and not a lot of attention to anything else. And the other was all like PR slash influencers. And I, I vividly remember there was a woman wearing what I could only define as a gown. And yeah. like, I tucked in my shirt. I thought, Oh, when I walked up, I thought, Oh, I know this place. I better tuck in my shirt. Like it was the most, I, I couldn't figure out what was going on. I was like, what, what why are we all here? Like, I think you wanted them, but you think we add value, but we don't add value. I promise you that. Like, you could have oh. just sent us the beers. We would have done the exact same thing with them. You didn't have to bring us to this restaurant and embarrass all of everybody in front of each other. Because I think they're a bunch of douchebags and they think we're a bunch of mouth breathers. Like, I don't know why we're all here. The thing that I find staggering about that, and it probably speaks to some defect in my character, is that I do not remember the lady in the gown whatsoever, but I remember that the dish was uh, pork belly with an enoki mushroom salad. That's right. Yeah, it was, sure uh, was. Perfect, perfectly autumnal for the Matilda. It was a wonderful. Pairing. Oh yeah, it was. It was. A, that was one of the things. Is the pairings were fantastic. Oh, marvelous. Yeah. And those are wonderful beers. <laughs> yes, they are. Although. Oh, like, oh yeah, and Ben was there. He bought. He brought a photographer. Yeah, and I, I'll tell you what. Like you can absolutely ruin those beers, and I found out how you do it. Okay. Because we got flown down to Goose Island in like 2016 or something. 
because they had this like October block party for Goose Island. And um, the problem is, you know, you go out and you're standing on the street outside the Fulton Brew Pub, and that's fine. Yeah. Uh, and we had the. I've very, never been, by the way, but thank you for rubbing well, on with this. But it's it's like this um, industrial neighborhood in Chicago, and if you take the brewery tour at Goose Island, like the tops of the fences have razor wire on them. It's like that quality of Chicago neighborhood. Nice. Yeah, it's it's very Bosnia. Um, and the thing is, like they've got a stage set up down the street, and Calexico is playing for God's sake. Not bad. And unfortunately, they're we're, they're in the middle of a tornado warning, and the band is still going on. So we're standing under industrial arches, drinking Sophie out of sixteen ounce red solo cups. Of course. And the problem is, like as soon as you have a beer of that quality out of a red solo cup. All the magic is gone. All the mystery disappears. It never matters ever again. So th they were completely destroying the thing that they were serving. Yeah. Because otherwise, you've got the like the branded wine glass with a little goose on it. And the yep. I was about to say one of the things is the magic of it's it's an elevated experience. Yeah. It, it'd be like drinking like a, like a Utopias or something out of like a Dixie cup. Yeah. And you're like it's the exact same thing. And yet, it's completely different. Uh, hey, I just saw you finish yours. Are we going to go Haze or Enchanté, the Raspberry Sage Belgian Wheat? Now, I tend to think this, yep. but I do want to get to that. So let's, let's get in there. So we're going to um, crack open an Enchanté. 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 Yeah, I do like isn't I feel it? like Lumiere from Enchanté. <laughs> well, that's not exactly how I remember that movie. No, but <laughs> can I just stop for a moment and say that you and McGregor voicing Lumiere in the reboot of um, of, of Beauty and the Beast might have been the best thing that ever happened in terms of movies to me. That was perfection. I'm not sure that I've seen that. I may have oh. to know just based on that recommendation. It's fantastic. You know, often, I'm going to pour, when they reboot a movie like that, mm -hmm. I mean, so obviously, um, Beauty and the Beast was one of the last hand-drawn Disney uh, movies. There were some digitally drawn aspects of it. Um, some of the panning shots in the balls were done on computer, but it was it was um, uh, cost-wise very uh, uh, prohibitive at that point. Um, so it was mostly hand-drawn, which of course means short, because you got to get a lot of people drawing a lot of pictures for that dang movie. Um, so what they were able to do with the reboot, which was predominantly live action with obviously a the usual sort of Marvel comic universe amount of um, uh, digital uh, <laughs> uh, work done on it. Um, but what they were able to do was, was flesh out the story more. So there was a whole subplot line. I'm, I don't want any spoilers here, um, but why was she an orphan? Where was her mother? And you learn the story. It's really nice. I really enjoyed it. I would highly recommend it. Well, that would help a lot. Do they ever address the fact that Gaston is pretty much the only thing saving that village from penury? I mean, not not directly, but he does get a little bit more um, uh, of a boost. And then the really big thing is Le Fou, 
they've fully opened up his character and they're like, oh, he's literally sexually in love with Gaston. He's not an admiring fanboy. He is wants to jump his bones. Great. I know. And it was what's his name? The guy who did the voice for the snowman in Frozen. What's that guy's name? He's delightful. Oh, yeah, I know who you mean. Yeah, Uh, yeah. uh, Anyway, you know who I'm talking about. It's amazing. You should watch it. Yeah, no, if it's a pop culture reference from the last 10 years, it's like 50-50. It's not. <laughs> yeah, who is get, that guy? Hang on, I'm, I'm going to look him up. I'm going to find i got too many empty beer cans over here. One sec. You get into some of that beer, and I'll get right there. I'll be right there. Um, what was the name of that stupid snowman? I'm going to have to just go snowman from Frozen. <sighs> Frozen snowman. That was, uh, yeah, there, there. Uh, uh, Josh Gad. Oh, okay. You know, he's in the Book of Mormon, that guy. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And a variety of other things. A very prolific actor uh, and a very delightful one. Um, he acted the shit out of that role. <laughs> no. I think, that, I think that's what they, they said in the New York Times. Okay, uh, where are we at with Enchanté? I think you're going to find this interesting. I had a sip and it's, uh, it's a little bit. So now off, off the name, it's the Raspberry Sage Belgian Wheat Beer. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely raspberries in there. If the color didn't tell you that, the nose definitely does. Mm-hmm. And the sage doesn't really come through a huge amount on the aroma. Hmm. You get a little bit of an earthy herbal thing from the sage, but it's not prevalent on the on the palate. No, it's I very think. raspberry. It drinks like a nicer, fresher Mortsubi. <laughs> yeah, ex- except there's a significant amount of coconut in there somewhere. I'm still getting my uh, my melon out. I need a couple more sips. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of a problem with that Pilsner is that, you know, if, if the idea is it's going to be a refreshing 5% Pilsner, then the melon and pine thing is kind of a little distracting. Mm-hmm takes some getting over the thing that this reminds me of bafflingly is you know when i was a kid we used to go to florida for vacation Mm -hmm. and you know you'd you'd get like a condo for the week or something to stay in like i'm not sure it was a timeshare maybe it was like a early version of airbnb but like that kind of deal yep and it means you'd buy in groceries from the piggly wiggly or whatever they got down in florida might be a wegmans i don't know um but like the raspberry um coffee cake that Entenmann's makes. Entenmann's uses a lot of coconut oil on their stuff. I was about to say, what, what I find interesting about the coconut taste that I'm getting off this is it's very coconut meaty. Yeah. Like, it's a very freshy kind of coconutty taste. It's not like coconut flavoring. It's not like desiccated coconut. It's like raw coconut. So the thing is, I'm wondering whether they're using Sabro or some other, like, modern coconutty hop. It could be, like, an Idaho 7 as well. Right, that yeah, Idaho maybe, 7 was my first thought. Was was maybe more coconutty. So you've got this beer that is advertising itself one way, and then like the, the, the mid-palate, like the entire bridge of flavor between raspberry and whatever the back end is, all coconut, and it's not really addressed. I'm actually kind of curious about uh, where the sage came into the brew and how, if it was fresh, if it was whole, if it was dried. If it was extract, like a, not an extract, but like a, an essential oil. Yeah. Because I'm wondering, 
I'm wondering if that is actually what we're kind of picking up as coconutty. Well, it was like fresh sage and it cooked yeah. a bit, you know? Hey, there's Sweet William. Is that his name? Little William? Big Sweet William? William Sweet, yeah, yeah. As soon as I said it, it didn't feel right. I thought that's not the right name for that cat. Ginger, on the other hand, is long gone. She doesn't want to be anywhere near here. What do you got there? That's Sage. Only one way to find out. I guess maybe it could be. That might be where that's coming from. It's so strange. On the nose, I think I get more Sage. But what it smells like to me, like we were saying earlier with the strawberry patch, it smells like raspberry leaf. Like, have you ever had red raspberry leaf tea? Yeah. It's got a quality of like that, like a green leafy kind of thing. But like sage is so distinctive. It's not bursting with like every day while I deliver the mail. This is going to sound super precious, but every day. Uh, one of the houses has a very um, ample patch of sage. It's in flower right now in front of their house. And uh, as I walk by, I drag my hand through it. And then I, I smell it and I just kind of, it's, it's not a smudge, but like I'm just spreading some of the sage around my body. Sure. It just, it held, I go, ah, just kind of, ah, just release a little bit. So I smell fresh sage literally every day. Not only is it homeopathic, but it keeps evil spirits away. I'm told, and it might be me that I'm keeping away. That'd be fine. Um, but like Sage, it, it's it's very distinctive. It's a little evergreeny. It's resinous. I'm not getting any of that, but I'm getting a green leafy thing off of this. Yeah. And then again, I'm wondering if that coconut quality is like cooked leaf maybe, but I'm not sure. I don't know if you, I'm pretty sure you wouldn't put Sage in the boil. I think you'd dry Sage, wouldn't you? Or like rural Sage? Maybe. You would I hope. I don't know what the technique is for sage. I've never had that happen before. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of thinking about it. And one of the things that I've seen happen a lot, and looking at the pilly, you know, the mascot pilsner, I'm thinking that, you know, the dry hopping is maybe so assertive that it does kind of alter the pH. Like, one of the things that happens with some of the Bellwoods IPAs and some of the other really heavily dry hopped stuff is that you do eventually get this like green, practically tomato stemmy kind of quality from them. Like it's what it really is, is literally phenolic hop character, but it, it becomes practically uh, basic. Like it, it raises the pH of the beer. Right. And it, it does cause problems in that regard because you get that. What's, what's the word that I'm looking for in, in terms of tomato stem? It's just, it's very green. It's very vegetal. I was going to say, the problem is, I was going to say vegetal, but vegetal has a different association in brewing. So that's not yeah. the right idea, but exactly. It's, it's, it's like green leaves. It's like wet green leaves. I, I uh, had the descriptor at one point, and I'm sure it'll come to me. Yeah. I know, yeah. I know exactly what you mean, though, because you have so much like plant material that that's what you're actually starting to taste. That's like exactly chlorophyll it. and and the fiber quality of the of the stems kind of thing, you know? Well, you know, we've been doing this exercise in the Beer 2 course where we're using spreadsheets to show people like a radar chart. And it turns out that even if you've got really heavily mercine-oriented hops, the ones that are, you know, very citric and very tropical and very essential oilsy, mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to noble, which is like woody or spicy or kind of 
accumulating stuff. Like the, the bigger the dosing you go on dry hopping, the more of the noble hop stuff exists there. It's not like hops are uh, heterozygous in the way that apples are. It's not like they contain all of the genetic material that exists. But the more of it you use, the larger the percent, you know, of it that's going to have that humulene character, that noble stuff. Right. It, it sneaks in. I mean, more hops equals more non-essential oils. And yeah. It's weird to watch people come to terms with that because they're like, why is it woody? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's it. It's woody in a way of like, I, I, I was thinking of it, I, I, I refer to it as like fresh wood. It's the smell of a tree that just snapped and has fallen over. Or like, not a lot of people have taken a chainsaw to a tree, but it's that smell without the gasoline. But like that smell of wood that's still kind of alive. Like yeah. it hasn't been cured. It hasn't dried. This is like wet wood. Um, you start to get that quality off of, as you say, your, your note about um, tomato plant. That's a, that's a good one. I have, I never really thought about it in those terms, but you get that. I, I love tomato plants. That's another thing I frequently but, but, but as soon touch as you can, my customers of. As soon as you can picture that in your mind, when you think about breaking the stem of a tomato plant, there's that white, pasty liquid yeah. in it. And that's very, like, it's, it's not neutral pH. It's quite, yeah. So, I mean, when Bellwoods gets their beer right, it's bang on. It's just absolutely perfect. And then periodically it'll be a batch where they over dry hop and I start getting that thing. And I, you know, just breaks my brain. Can't do the it. The thing that I always get, I always think of when there's too much dry hop that wasn't, stretched out right it was just kind of a dump in i always think of it as like homebrew dry hop because homebrewers are always like oh how much should i dry hop and you're like oh 30 grams 35 grams and they're like what's that in ounces and you're like Fuck, i don't know an ounce and a quarter yeah. no i'm gonna put in four and you're like ah, that's maybe not the best idea in a five gallon batch let's dial and they're like i'm gonna put it in and they're like here try this and you're like the thing i always get is i'm like it tastes like chlorophyll like i can yeah. taste I can taste the plant in that. That's not what I want. I just want the oils. I don't want to taste the leaves because they're in there too, but it's way more of the essential oils that we're getting. But if you put enough in there, I'm going to taste the leaves and I don't want to taste the leaves. Not like in some cases, I absolutely do want to taste the leaves, but it's like, it's very rarefied. It's going to be like Fuller's London Pride or Sierra Nevada or something where that is a, a function of the flavor profile Yeah, where you've got that spicy, slightly vegetal aspect to it and it creates functional tannin on the palate. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's something that you want, but if you don't know what you're doing with that, you don't actually have the hop cone to work with. Well, as I was about to say, I don't know about London pride, but I know that uh, Sierra Nevada, they're using whole cones. Yeah. So you, that's intentional. You too. get some of the leaves. You get the the blossom of the flower. Uh, it's all in there. I know it is in pelletized too, but somehow it's different. You don't get the same quality of taste. No, I, I love it because like if you're teaching people about that beer, you know, you, you go through the tasting notes that they've come up with in the class. And then I like I love to just say, what about celery leaf? And they just go, what? Yeah. <laughs> and then they smell the beer and they're, oh shit. <laughs> yeah or even the heart like that very those little pixie sized pieces of celery in the middle they're yeah. dripping with it yeah 
Yeah, I dig it. Um, other than that, yeah, big raspberry juicy. As I said, tastes a bit like uh, a more intelligent Mortsubi Fram or like, yeah. yeah. I, I quite like it. I think on a patio, this is a real winner. Yeah, I always think, about, I agree with that. I, I get that, the tart raspberry thing, but I'm always like, the fruit juice in the beer gives it a density where I'm like, it's refreshing insofar as like it's tart. There's an acidity from the, the fruit juice, which is quite nice. And it's very bright, but I'm like, but it's got a lot of weight to it. Mm. Like, I'm not saying I would do this, but I almost feel like in the context of a patio, you'd almost kind of want this on ice with like a straw. You know what I mean? Well, Make like almost a little cocktail out of it. <laughs> you know, a decade ago, I would have said, no, oh, you can't do that. But now people are just making slushy beers anyway. So yeah, give us some ice. Right? Why not? This actually, the other thing it reminds me a lot of, um, I suspect that this is probably a raspberry puree as opposed to whole raspberry. Um, but it's clearly raspberries as opposed to raspberry flavor um, yeah. or a mix therein. Um, but it, it actually, um, the the raspberry quality on it kicks off a lot of uh, the Amsterdam, the original Frambois, um, which was like thick with raspberry. <laughs> you had this year's version, did you? No, I, no, no. I, I, I could procure some, but yeah, I had the board to lock. I didn't get the Fram. Um, Although I think, I don't know if it's still in the shop. Fram was good. It was a little lighter than the original version. I mean, I had some, we were judging the World Beer Awards this week. And I'm not allowed to tell tales at a school on that one because, the, of course, the winners haven't been announced yet. And of course. Also, I, I don't know what I was judging because we were doing it blind. Well, I was about to say, even if they, you wouldn't have the tabulated results unless you were tabulating. But legitimately, I mean, there was one beer that was very clearly made with real raspberries. And there was one beer that was clearly made with like a raspberry flavor spike. Right. And the difference between them was, was phenomenal. I mean, it was like, this one's great. This one is, meh. yeah, this is, this is obviously real raspberries. I quite like the uh, fact they've done that. What's well, interesting. Um, raspberries aren't a super pectiny fruit in terms of others, um, but you get a, a bit of that. It's, I don't know. People are going to get a little freaked out if I say like gelatinous, but the the feeling of gelatin, uh, that viscosity in a really light way, there's a density to the beer that I think is coming because it's real fruit, as you say, as opposed to an extract or a flavor shot or something. Well, yeah, but it, it's, it's like the slight gelatinous kind of raspberry quality you might get if you were making a syrup for ice cream or something like it's a Yeah, yeah, it's a totally. Kind of a thing rather than a exactly yeah 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 not like jam <laughs> no but like the same effect you're getting some of that and and it, like it is it isn't gelatin but it's got the same sort of weight on your your palate where it's not quite silky but there's a density to it um yeah. it's quite nice but still the sage is elusive in my mind it is a little bit they could maybe use more sage i don't know if that would result in more coconut I, I don't know. I know, right? <laughs> like, I, I'm, I'm really wondering whether they've used raspberry and sage and also sabro hops, and the sabro is blowing the sage out of the water, or whether it, it's just a function of dry sage. Yeah. I, I got to be honest, I've never used sage in a brew, so I'm out to sea on that one. Um, but, uh, I, I mean, it's very, very nice. It's a very tasty beer. Um, I almost kind of wish they, they build it 
instead of saying a raspberry sage Belgian wheat as like a frambois with sage or something like that. Because I think that is a thing. Frambois, Belgian wheat beer with raspberries. That's a historical existent thing. Um, so I think like lean into that myself. Well, you know, the difficulty is that you do have the old school beer audience, but that's not who mascot have their eye on. Mm-hmm. And I mean, legitimately, I don't think that's who have their eye on mascot either. When I was in there, like February 2020, they were auditioning. I don't think they were auditioning, but they had like somebody setting up DJ equipment and they were like, it's clearly going for a loungy kind of hip hop atmosphere in the room. And it's, it's not really meant for beer purists, despite the fact that the beer has always been kind of interesting and kind of, I wouldn't say cutting edge at this point, but like they're, they're certainly making things that are different than everybody else. Like they've got their own yeah. voice, which is nice. I always kind of felt that way. Like that's uh, kind of Burdock's vibe where yeah. like, it's not, they're not, they're not like cutting a new trail into the, the wilderness. Um, but neither are they kind of towing lines. Like they're like, this is what we want to make. This is what we want to do. It's got a similar vibe, yeah. I think. I mean, the, the burdock, like the room is really interesting. I like the fact they've got the concert space next door. Right. That's really cool. Um, I have seen them charge 125 bucks for a magnum of their own beer in-house. <laughs> At which point I kind of go, hmm, it might be too much somebody buys it well that's the thing isn't it I mean, you can't really get angry at them if people are, are buying it yeah if somebody bites why not uh but that does seem a little and it was well, uh, it was a magnum not a jeroboam i don't know it might have been jeroboam but even at that point you're sort of like eh. um what they did have at one point they made they were legitimately a really good kolsch like they made mm-hmm. um yeah no i remember their kolsch i had that a couple of times yeah, it was, it was great, except that, you know, I got to the tap room and I'm like trying it and, and thinking, hey, it's good. Like, it's really authentic to the, the cologne tradition. Yeah. Uh, the esters are correct. Like, they've got the fermentation right. They've got the malt bill right. They've got the hops right. Legitimately, I think you could put it up against things in cologne. The only problem is they were serving it in Stange glassware, $5 for 200 milliliters. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's $25 liter. $25 liter. Yeah, that's pretty steep. Yeah. I mean, maybe it took them a lot of time. <laughs> it could have gotten, yeah, like development. Costs. That was the fourth batch, and you were paying for the previous three. Potentially, but I doubt it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, well-to-do millennials, what can you do? Again, if people are buying it, yeah, it's the supply and demand, man. And, I don't know. Legitimately, it was good. Yeah. It was, it was very good. Yeah, I remember I went in there on a lark one night. I think I was actually pretty drunk at the time I went in that I'm thinking of. Um, drunk and on Bloor Street, sure, yeah, I know that. Yeah, go figure, who knew? I was over at, um, further down the line, Great Saison, why am I blanking on their name? Uh, help me out here. Folly? Yeah, thank you, Folly. I'd been at Folly for something and uh, had the great ideas. I was. Wa- I think I was walking along looking for a falafel and uh and then i was like oh there's burdock well that's pretty good too and i think i kind of I, w- I wasn't stumbling drunk but like i was definitely not operating machinery and uh wizard needs food badly gotcha yeah yeah went in and made the situation slightly worse and uh i, I know i had the kolsch and i had uh 
I remember I had another Saison because I was like, I've been drinking Follies and I was like, oh, I wonder what that'd be like. And then I think I had a third beer yeah. <laughs> and then continued the stumble. And at that point it was a bit of a stumble. Um, but, uh, but I've subsequently, I love Burdock's labeling so much. It's just, it feels like a 1970s, uh, summer camp t-shirt that was their ipa i thought that that looks like a that looks like a summer camp t-shirt to me there's this really beautifully simplistic yeah it's just wonderful i love it and like a practically meatballs energy to it yeah yeah i like it oh like uh, you know the food's pretty good too i mean they had a panzanella salad one time it was really really good i don't think i've ever eaten there yeah yeah i think they got like uh, falafel you you <laughs> you didn't find out that night, but uh, I think it was too late too. I think it was like midnight or so. I think the kitchen was closed at that point. So See, that's that's like as much as people talk about patios. This is the thing that I really miss about the not being able to go out is the stumbling along, kind of like okay, it's it's I don't know Friday night. I got nothing to do. Like maybe I'll pop in at Tall Boys and see if there's anything new and interesting. Uh, oh, there's a wing special. Right. And then you, like, you sort of drift around, you know, and you go to different places and you spend some money and you make bad decisions. And, I remember you have interesting conversations and you meet people and you get to talk. And, you know. I can't remember if it was the last time I was on the craft beer cruise with uh, Sean out on the, the harbor. If it wasn't the last time, it was the second from last time I did that. And uh, for some reason, I don't know why we started this tradition, but I have a buddy called Eli um, who is... I mean, he likes good beer, but he's not a particularly, he, he's not a geek. Like he, he isn't, if he drank this, he'd be like, it tastes like raspberries. Nice. Like pretty straight up guy. And, uh, uh, but for some reason, I always take him on the craft beer cruise. He's like my evergreen partner on the craft beer cruise. Sure. And uh, I think this was the last time <laughs> and I had worn white linen pants and a Hawaiian shirt and a, and a captain's hat. And I think I had a lay too. I think I had a plastic lay on and not one of the, the garbage bag ones. I have a really nice one with like leaves and flowers and everything. I was really done up. Um, I remember as we were boarding, the captain said, you look ridiculous. And I said, I hope I'm not going to get arrested for impersonating an officer, sir. And that did not help the situation at all. Um, but uh, after the craft beer cruise, Eli was like, oh, should we grab an Uber? And I said, I'm really hungry. Like when I'm drunk, I'm just hungry. I'm like, I want to eat. Yep. Uh, I think the secret is I'm always hungry, but when I'm, I'm drunk, my self-control drops. So it's like, let's eat. And I was like, let's find something to eat. So we started walking, but of course they, they drop you. It's like, I don't know, parliament and Lakeshore. Like there's nothing, like you're under the gardener. So we walked up to, I don't know, Adelaide or something. We started walking along, nothing was open. There's nothing happening. And then and then what kept happening is we kept finding things and I was like, no, I was getting all like bougie about it. Where he was like, oh, look, there's pizza pizza. And I'm like, I don't eat pizza pizza. And he's like, what's the matter, man? Like, you're hungry. I'm like, I'm not that hungry. <laughs> he's like, what about Subway? I'm like, I don't want a sub. I want a full uh, No, your you're, pizza pizza is hard to explain to an Eli. Yeah. Like, I, I know exactly what you mean. He was just too keen. I, pizza pizza is, it's like, it, it serves one purpose. And that's if you get off the subway at Davisville at two o'clock in the morning and there's, there's nothing else open. Yeah. 
decent late night fodder. And that's, that's what I was gonna say. The the one purpose that it serves is sometimes it's open when literally nothing else is. Yeah. And then it's that's acceptable. But anyway, we ended up walking to Kaylee Cottage in Leslieville, <laughs> passing I don't know how many places that I refused to go in and eat at because that's not what I wanted. And we ended up going to Kaylee Cottage. And Eli lives just past Kaylee Cottage. So he's like, I don't care what happens from this point on. I'm going home. But we went into Kaylee Cottage. So first thing, we sit down at the bar. By the way, rest in peace, Kaylee Cottage. Yeah. Uh, sat down at the bar. Said, uh, any chance the kitchen's still open? It's like, I don't know, 1230 or something like that. She said, no. Said, do you have any chips? Because they had the really nice kettle chips that they made in his. She said, yeah, we can probably get you a bowl of chips. I said, I could really do with a bowl of chips. So she comes over with the bowl of chips and two waters and sets them down. And I'm like, cool, I'm going to grab a, I can't remember, Durham something or whatever. And Eli's said, I'll have that. She said, why don't you guys just start with water? And I went, excuse me? It's the only time in my life I ever had a bartender slow me down. And it was at the Kaylee Cottage. I'm like, there were times when I think Owen was actually pouring whiskey into my mouth when I couldn't <laughs> swallow. But he was like, oh, I'll go on, have a little more. And I'm like, I can't. I, oh, okay. It had changed. Dude. Yeah. That's not like slow you no man well first of all like the fact that you backtalked the bartender is just amazing <laughs> excuse me we did subsequently get, who i am we did subsequently get beer i said are you kidding me she said you guys seem like you've had a lot i said yeah and we're here like that's yeah. why we came here we didn't go to some other bar like we we're not idiots we ended up talking her into it she gave us each a beer and we tipped her very nicely which oh, yeah. she didn't deserve but. Well, I mean, she had your best interest in mind. It's just that you didn't care about the hangover at that point. No, God, no. That was a foregone conclusion at that point. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to drink like two liters of water when I got home and pray. But uh, let me have a, one more gulp of this. Yep. We'll get into the haze. I don't know if I'm going to get to the bottom of it. It is 1030. Uh, I'm not a young man. And uh, are, are you not? I thought you were younger than me. And, uh, well, I am, but uh, by proxy, you know what that means. Yeah. We are not young men. Good point. Ooh. I do like that, though. That's a nice beer. Yeah. You know what? I think that the sage is coming through as we talked about the coconut. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But it tastes like raspberry leaves. I think that's what I, the main takeaway from the sage to me it tastes like raspberry leaf. I think sometimes you get more from the empty glass. You can, especially because within a minute or two, you get a lot more warmth in there and you start to get a lot more of the aromatics. Yeah, if I'm telling people about uh, Burton-on-Trent and the water chemistry, usually that's where they get that Burton snatch, like the matchstick character is the empty glass after. Very end, yeah. Do you ever do the, uh, the Beaumont, I call it? You pour, you know, a few little bits in there and then give it a little one of those. No. You don't think about it when you drink it. That's how you clean the glass. It tasted like celery. I know I'm not supposed to think about it, but it tasted celery there. Oh, we were discussing celery. Maybe I just have a, it's been imprinted in my mind. This is no fooling. That is crazy. That is orange juice. 
it does contain haze. I mean, it's uh, certainly hazy. Now with 17% more haze, I think is what the label should say. Again, attractive label. Love yeah. that uh, triple, triple lettering there. Very, very nice. Yeah, the overlaid part of it is really nice. I mean, I'm, I'm red, green, blue, purple colorblind, so I got comparatively little on that. Just kind of looks like a mess, eh? Well, yeah, but I mean, like, I'm not a graphic design guy. It's one of the things about having Robin around, which really helps. She's like very visually oriented and she's a fantastic photographer and like from a visual design standpoint, she took like film studies and, you know, I got nothing. Legit, yeah. legit. Um, so as noted, hazy, kind of soapy head actually on that one. Yeah. I mean, it smells like what you think it's going to smell like. Mm -hmm. Got some orange peel, some grapefruit up in there, some lemon, very citrusy. And, but this is the thing, as soon as you get like into the middle of the glass there, you do get this slightly woody kind of thing coming through because of the, just the sheer quantity of dry hopping. So much hop, yeah. Yep. Oh. Huh. Oh. There's a, a slightly herbaceous minty kind of thing happening in the mid palate there. Yeah, yeah, uh, very minty. And also quite a bit more bitter than I was expecting it to be, like physical bitterness on the palate. Yeah, I kind of like that, though. I, I miss the physical bitterness. That used to be a thing. I mean, you remember. Oh, very well. Oh, it's very minty. Yeah. Yeah, and, and this is not just late hopping. There's some bittering hop in there, or there's a lot of late hopping, like a lot. But I always kind of like it when you, like the, the hops wrapped around, right? I mean, you get to the point where they're trying to pinpoint individual aspects of the thing, like citra, when you started breeding that, you get lemon, you get gooseberry, you get caddy. Yeah. And then mosaic, you get blueberry, pineapple, galaxies, you know, whatever. But the Yakima stuff, like the Idaho 7, which is in this. Is that it, what? It, it, yeah, it gets weird. It, like, it, it starts to develop more herbal tones and more, like, they call it dank, but really what it is is herbaceous. Dank, I find to be a very elusive term for as a descriptor, because I think different people mean different things when they say it. When I say dank, I mean, I think it smells a bit like weed. And when other people say dank, they mean other things. And I'm yeah. like, oh, but I mean weed when I say dank, like dank nugs is what I'm talking about. Um, and other people, yeah, some people have like a sort of a damp, um, I don't want to say mildewy, but like. Sort of earthy uh, celery kind of thing. Not celery with the plant, but celery in the basement. Yeah, exactly. Uh, not quite into the barnyard territory of like Brett, but like you're flirting with that idea. Yeah. That's not what I mean. I mean, this thing tastes and or smells like weed. Yeah, which it should, because I mean, you know, it shares all the terpenoids and- Yeah, second cousins or something like that. Yeah, it, it's frustrating as hell, honestly. Like, if you look at a website like hopslist.com where they've got all of the hop varieties broken down by like mercine component and all that stuff, they never get any further than that with the hops. I mean, theoretically, mercine breaks down into all these different terpenoids. You've got like geraniol and linalool and pinene and citrol and all this shit. And 
like that is all fundamental to understanding exactly what that hop is going to do. And if you get like the Barth Haas guide, which I've, I leaf through periodically when I'm at Amsterdam, sitting there having a beer. Right. Um, it's extraordinarily educational because it under, it makes you understand like where the commonality is in the in the universe between these hop characteristics and and like physical entities out there in the real world that you're going to come across on a daily basis. What flowers? What fruits? What trees, plants, all that stuff, right? And that's fundamental to understanding flavor and aroma. And then like around four years ago, all the weed money shows up and the terpenoid studies that they get to on pot suddenly eclipse all of the Google searches on hops and researching anything on hops is now incredibly difficult because the, uh, the cannabis space has eaten all of that content. Yeah. And, you know, you try to sit there and think, how does this work? And there's not a huge amount of interest in that anymore from a scientific perspective. Yeah. I know I always wanted to talk more about that, but, you know, the amount of research you'd have to do independently at this point in order to support that is painful. You need some uh, Madden noisy money behind that. <laughs> oh, dude. Yeah, if they want to throw like $16,000 a month at that, I'd be fine. This is very interesting. So outside of our hop thing and like, yeah, tons of citrus, but also much more an herbaceous, minty, parsley, green leafy, as per earlier discussions. Yeah. It's, it's quite a bit more herbal than I was expecting it to be. And then just on the, on the swallow right at the end, there's this little bit of sandalwood kind of thing happening. Okay. I was kind of catching just a more generic kind of, not even spice cover, but just a spiciness or like, a, yeah. Um, it's interesting because that's literally all I'm getting is those hop characteristics. I, I'm sure there's malts in here. Um, there must be because there's alcohol. Well, it's dark enough in color that it can't all be hops. Exactly. You know, well, I don't know. That might still be predominantly just a two row or pilsner malt or something at that color it's got a lot of hops in it. yeah it's it's, it's not quite squeaky yet hazy but it's AF. Close. Yeah, yeah yeah um this is a young man's beer i like it <laughs> but especially as a fourth beer this is gonna take some doing to get through i think uh are you saying you're in your carlsberg years now or Welcome to your Carlsberg years. We've been waiting. Um, no, funny enough, Carlsberg's still not a beer I'm a very big fan of. It's uh, it's too sweet and not enough of anything else. Yeah, quite boring, really. Yeah. I might be in my Czechvar years. I think that's what I uh, I'd be happy. I'm in my dab years. I've been in my dab years for like five years now. Well, it's, it's what, like 210 a can at the LCBO? Yeah, it's 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 cheap and you can get it at the grocery store no it's more than that 235 i think oh good lord go yeah, i think they, they bumped it by a quarter by the sound of it but still well you know, telling tales out of school periodically like beaumont and i will talk about what we think the best cheapest beer is in the lcbo and for recently it's vernus gruner that's exactly what i was about to say yeah i was like i don't know if it's the cheapest but vernus gruner is pretty good yever is like uh 225 or something now Yep. Uh, where my motorcycle is currently living while we're trying to fix it, 
uh, my buddy's house, his immediate neighbor is a retired master mechanic who worked his whole career uh, at Volkswagen, having started in Wolfsburg. And he swears that Hever is the best beer in the world. And so he helped out a lot, including a couple of very specialized tools that we needed uh, last time I was there. When we go up next weekend, he's getting a full flat of, yep. uh, of that, not least because it is pretty affordable. <laughs> well, I mean, that's one of my favorite things about it. Like there was a period there where, uh, you know, between the books and getting to the school, there was like a lean year where I was doing some tasting events for Great Lakes and LCBOs, you know, the guy with the cart and the potato chips and the beer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, not not like glamorous work, but it gives you a sense of the city and it gives you a sense of how people use the LCBO. And my feeling is that anything that's going to give you insight into the beer industry is worth doing. Uh, like whether it's working festivals or whether it's working the LCBO tasting booth or whatever. And like one of my favorite places to work was the stockyards LCBO because that neighborhood, you know, cropped up in the mid to late nineties. So you got all these Serbo Croatian kind of people who came over after the uh, war and, you know, mostly contractors by trade, like plasters and. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Tradesmen. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you, you're sitting there sort of three to 6 PM or like they're four hour sh tasting shifts. Yeah. And you watch these guys walk in jeans with paint stains on them. They walk over to where the import beer is. They pick up a 24 Tatra or like, you know, Vernus Green or Yever or whatever. Yep. Spaten was very popular. Yeah, Spaten's a big one for them. Yeah, and they would just walk out with the entire two for it. Yep. And you're like, oh, okay, I'm using beer wrong. I shouldn't really be thinking about it in terms of like the terpenoids. It, it really is something that people are using for muscular skeletal pain. Yeah. A reward for working hard. It's a caloric input because these are guys who are like burning five, 6,000 calories a day. Definitely. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, no, we're doing it wrong. <laughs> I mean, it's so funny. I remember doing a tasting in an LCBO for staff. So the backroom tasting. Mm -hmm. And I went in and like, I'm keen. I'm ready to rock. Got some beers, got some food. We're going to talk about beers and food, set up a little bit in the little break room area. And a uh, young dude came in. I think he was a part timer. And, uh, was really keen, you know, oh, what do you got? Hey, okay, cool. And he's tasting some stuff and whatever. I think this might have been, do you know, at, um, Frig, where is it? In the West End, uh, like Keel, maybe. There's like two LCBOs right on either side of the train tracks from each other. And they're super close. Maybe, out, I don't yeah. know. But uh, West End, I'm not great in the West End. I get really shaky when I'm on the other side of the Dawn. So the Humber is like a whole new world. Um, but anyway. The is on both sides of Bloor twice. I don't understand it. It's very confusing. It's very hard to keep up with. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, so I'm there, young person. He's having a great time. We're talking beers. This woman walks in. Now, the LCBO, of course, notable for having one of the more unflattering uh, uniforms in the retail world, Loblaws right up there. Um, shirts that were clearly not really cut for a man or a woman. There's just a lot. I think that's what they said. They said, just put more shirt in there. It's, it's like a generic shirt for a generic. Yeah, movie. pretty bleak. Yeah. And uh, Swoon walks in, 
eight times more shirt than she needed um had um the perfect 80s like bleached curled bangs big puffy curls here and then you know when the the bit down the back they kind of are curls but they're also kind of falling apart from curls and they're just greasy as like just not nice very i think i think she spent a lot of time in a camaro in the 80s i haven't um, seen that since Moncton. yeah and, and yeah. still had it this would have been in 2008 or 9 or something like that um and and then the best was she was wearing um square framed glasses which had um you know the 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 frames they attached here and then they kind of come up to the arms and then she had a chain you know around the neck from the glasses and mm. they were smoked so they were like brown to gray to clear at the bottom it's quite something it's quite a look and she stank of cigarettes like the kind of smell that made you think she actually maybe smoked predominantly in a closet uh, most of the time just thick with tobacco smoke not very nice she walked in now recall where I am. I'm being a keen beer guy. I've got a young person here. He's very interested. We're great. And uh, and I turn to her and I say, hey, uh, I'm doing a beer tasting today. And she's like, good for you. I said, okay, how are you doing today? And she literally looked at her watch and went, I'll be doing a lot better in eight months, one week, two days, in 17 minutes. And I was like, is that your retirement date? She said, you're fucking right. <laughs> I was like, do you want to try any beer? She said, no. I was like, well, that's where we're at then, I guess. <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes it's an intractable problem. Um, <laughs> that I'm here to try and educate the staff. Sometimes you just know when to pick your battles. Yeah, no, that that's absolutely right. The the best thing about those tastings, like the, especially the backstage ones, is that the staff, if they're a little bit impressionable, will recommend that beer until the next time there's a tasting. It, exactly, like, it's the easiest the way. And then they'll recommend people, the next thing. They'll just yeah. keep pushing that beer out, especially if you go, "Oh, do you like that one? Huh, here's a four pack for you. Yeah. Enjoy." And they go, "Cool, it's the best beer in the store." like darn right it is it wasn't <laughs> not that you should do that no don't do that i literally had a manager one time when i was doing that gig said to me i said uh, hey got this beer it's doing pretty well let's bring in the skew eh and he said uh cool i'm 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 parked and he he described where his car was parked i said cool i'm parked over there he said no i'm gonna give you my keys just go throw a couple of couple of two fours of beer in my car i said like some of these two fours he's like no not the ones from the store like give me some two fours i said i don't have any two fours to give you man he said well you're not getting your beer in here i said yeah so well as long as we're clear then i don't have anything to do here i'm gonna leave talk to you later man yep (laughs) <laughs> but then I got yelled at because I was supposed to try and like work. Well, with I mean, but the problem is you can't like magically make two, two fours beer in your car. No, I couldn't. No, you. Really I mean, couldn't. I had some beer, but I didn't have that much beer. And if I'd given it all to him, then I wouldn't have had any beer. Yeah. What I couldn't can believe you? it. What a world we live in. The LCBO. <laughs> it's a crown court, man. 
Well, you know, I, I have to be agnostic on that point due to the fact that I write for Food and Drink magazine. And blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Pardon, pardon me. Oh, well, that's all right. You know. Never happens in the LCBO. Never happens. Never happens. It didn't happen that day. I'll tell you that. that guy well, got certainly, it certainly never happened about me. And I have to uh, pretend uh, that, uh, that that never happened. I, uh, <laughs> I've gotten a lot more out of the LCBO than they've gotten out of me. I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's going that way, which I'm happy about. It's good. Um, it's it's going to be a lot of fun, I think. Yeah. Once we have bottle shops and the beer store is gone in 2025 or so. And Maybe sooner. They might just decide to pull the plug themselves. If, yeah, well, it sort of depends, man. I mean, we'll see what happens. I know. I, I think because part of the thing is when that master framework expires, they're done. Like it, this is the this is the the life support unit that's keeping them above water. But that's all they got. Oh, no, it isn't really. I mean, people get that wrong. The, the master framework agreement is not a life support unit. The master framework agreement is an anchor. It really is. It's a 10 year uh, goodbye window. And um, it always has been. If you if you look at the functionality of it, and if you look at the the mechanisms by which it operates, it's the thing that is absolutely putting paid to the beer store. Like the fact that you made them spend a hundred million dollars on upgrades, yeah, that had to come from somewhere. Which means they had to start selling stores. Which means they can't make ends meet. Which means they have to sell stores. Which means, yeah, aren't they renting you know, like thirty or something percent of their property now because they had to sell it all off? But it's probably more than that. But I mean, Ed Clark, who came up with that, is sort of a genius. I mean, he he figured out that, you know, it's a nonprofit organization and you can't make it make a profit. So that any expenditure that they have had to come from capital. Yeah. And as soon as you start selling off capital in a place that has to make ends meet through capital adjustments. You only got so much property. You're, you're absolutely screwed. And it, it's going to spiral and spiral and spiral. And uh, like... That's, that's basically what we're watching in real time. So people still claim that the government should tear up the master framework agreement. But every year you let it go by until 2025, they're in a more and more untenable situation. And yeah. they may eventually just start letting leases run out because they're in five and 10 year leases. It's, yeah. uh, but that's not, there's not a lot of commentators you can talk to about that because I think the only other person I know who understands it is Josh Rubin. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Ed Clark, I should talk to him at some point, because just to say, hey, man, I'm bet, really clever. <laughs> I bet you'll find some people at Molson and uh, and Labatt probably have a pretty good handle on it, too. <laughs> yeah, the, the fact that, you know. They won't talk, though. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. It used to be the case that sometimes if I was right about something, I'd get the odd person from Molson or Labatt reaching out behind the scenes and just going, yep. Right. But no, as as you say, I think 2020, 2025 or sooner, mm-hmm. that's it, it's going to be like a sea change. Like people thought the move to grocery was a big deal. It's going to be completely different. Um, the only thing I worry about is like, where will we take our empties? <laughs> well, it's, it's an interesting point. Somebody was talking about this online earlier today and like, the idea that you're charging empties, uh, charging deposit for beer cans and beer bottles, that's fine. But if you look at Quebec or if you look at some of the American jurisdictions, they have deposit charges on everything. Like, As I was going to say, we need to charge it on everything. 
Yeah, we, we absolutely do. Yeah, I mean, especially like, water bottles. No shit. I mean, like, first of all, Nestle, but uh, like he had a charge more for that. And then you got to take it out of the hands of the brewers because they're not interested in handling everything else. They can't yeah. do it. No. And the fact that cans are up to like 75% of packaging by next year, a uh, bottle float is over. It just doesn't matter anymore. So there's no reason for them to hold on to it. Which incidentally is a shame. I, I, I love glass bottles, but I understand why the LCBO did what they did, why they put the focus there. And I understand why brewers followed because for a while, the only way you got a new skew at the LCBO is if it was a single serve can. Like yeah. you couldn't put a six pack. God help you if you put closed top six pack. Do you remember buying closed top six packs of like Amsterdam nut brown or like uh, uh, black oak pale? Yeah. And like you had to buy six from the LCBO. And it was like, that's not what they wanted you to do. They wanted singles. I mean, the, the, the most brilliant thing anybody ever did at the LCBO, and I like, they don't get enough credit for it because it happened a long time ago. And in retrospect, we all think of it as a gimmick. But if you look at the LCBO's contractual language, they're not allowed to have 12 packs. That's a, that's a beer store thing. Yeah. So the Cameron's nine pack. Yeah, huge. I remember that. I used to take those to poker games all the time. Yeah, like, it's, it's brilliant because, yeah. of course, it skirts the language contractually. Yeah. They get like a gimmick in the LCBO that nobody else can support. Yeah. It must have cost them a fortune in packaging materials, but. Yeah, it's interesting. That was pre-Bill, right? That was from the original ownership. Yeah. And uh, all I imagine is they just had to get a, a box producer and they just bought a bunch of trailer loads full of the boxes and they gambled on it. And I actually, come to think of it, they sold shortly after that. So I don't know if they won that gamble, but well, it was yeah. great for me. I loved it. <laughs> but uh, I think Bill is out now. So, that, I mean, like- I've lost long... track of Cameron's, to be honest with you. This is how long we've been in the beer industry. We're one bill worth of time. That's right. Um, they they brought back the rye pale ale though, so you know all is forgiven. Yeah, I did yeah. like that rye pale ale. Coming back in uh, the fall, they've got a new batch coming. I'd be interested to try that again and see. Uh, I, I'm sure it's not the exact same recipe because it can't be, but I'd be interested to see if my uh, my palate has changed. I, that was that was an elite level beer for me back in the day. That was tops. Oh, they, I, I got Jason Britton to send a couple of cans because you could only buy like a flat from their website. I sent an email saying, I really want to try this. I really like that beer. Yeah. I don't know why it disappeared. And the answer is like, I, I remember it being more citric. I remember it being... Very much. Yeah. And it's a little pinier now, but like as a, as a quality beer, it's still excellent. Like... I had, I had uh, assigned it to somebody for the final uh, beer and food pairing exercise. And he, he just went, you know, straight pub food with it, which yeah. is pretty much what it is, man. It's like, you know. I remember being at a beer event at uh, the Rhino. And uh, <laughs> and it was, it was like a Saturday or a Sunday morning at like 1030. And we were at the brewer's breakfast. So the, the event wasn't open yet. And but everybody was allowed. You could have a glass or two from a, a table, um, and they had like just the most predictable spread of like chafing dishes with like six pounds of scrambled eggs out of the jug, and like 
probably microwave quality bacon and whatever. And it was not good food, some like danishes and shit, whatever. Um, but uh, Will, who was at Cameron's at the time, had start, shit, yeah. had gotten some ju- or some some uh, like two liter uh, milk style containers of Tropicana pink grapefruit juice, and he was pouring Cam's rye pale ale mimosas, and they were bonkers. Yeah. I think I drank like six of those. I was pretty much laced before the event even started because I was like, grapefruit juice, rye pale ale? I'm in. I want more of this. It was so good. Uh, the Dan Forth drinker. My God. Um, it's yeah. been a while. Yeah, that has been. No, I'm at the Rhino. God. They're, yeah, they survived. I was, I say, did they make it? I, I, I they made well, it. Well, good for them. Well, I wandered in there, like, uh, my mom had bought me uh, the traditional Christmas present that she gets me every year, which is some kind of blue sweater. Okay. Because I'm colorblind, like, I got one color I can really pull off. I can I go black or blue. Yeah, all right. Um, so, you know, she, I, I said to her, this year for the blue sweater, could I have this mutton head thing? It's over on Rossi, you know, Canadian brand, made in Canada. That's cool. I'm like, I got to go over there. It's November. It's the middle of the pandemic. They're going to shut down patios on the 23rd of November. Like, I know this is coming. Yeah. At the end of the week. And I'm like, where can I have a beer? Because it's still, like, there's sunlight still a little in the afternoon. So I'm, like, looking at the Rhino website, trying to figure out what they have on tap. And at the time, they got, like, a seller thing happening on their website. Selling off the the cellar beer that they have. I remember that, yeah. And like they had like Thomas Hardy bottles for like six bucks or something like that. It might have been like nine, but yeah, it was like 2008 Thomas Hardy for not very much money, and every vintage of Fuller's Vintage Ale from like 2006 onward, and they were charging like 10, 12 bucks for them. And yeah, you know, I, I I guess nobody had looked at it. It'd been up for a month. And I called them to say, you know, the website's not working. Can I place this order? And they said, sure. I said, how long has this website sale been on for the seller? And they're like, a month. Okay. So I get there, you know, thinking I'm going to have a beer on the patio, maybe some chicken wings or something. And out of curiosity, I said to them, look, here, here's the thing, you know, what else do you have? I mean, what kind of seller things are you talking about? And they, they took me down to the basement and they showed me like this entire room yeah, full of Fuller's Vintage Ale and Thomas Hardy Barley Wine and like old Unibrew bottles and Belgian stuff. There's some Ackle and some West Letran and some, it was just like, can I, uh, look, I'm going to pay for the stuff I've already ordered. I'll make a deal with you. If you give me a bottle each of the Fuller's Vintage Ales that I haven't like purchased, on spec yeah i can move this entire cellar for you within like before christmas right like you can hang on to the beer until then i'm not you know yeah yeah i'll show you i'll show you so i'm I'm out there on the patio and i've got my little you know the phone and i've got a pint of denison's vice beer which is the last beer i got to drink on a patio before shutdown not bad i'm like okay that should do it 
and I've got like pictures of the seller and all that. They they had lineups forty five minutes long in the yeah. next day. That's probably when I heard about it. And then I remember I remember hearing about it like kind of through the scene, and then about five days later, as happens. Blog TO made a post about it. Oh, this Toronto bar is selling off. It's like multi-million dollar seller, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden it was just like, just, yeah. yeah, I I think people cleared it out within about seven days. I may have nudged Blog TO on that one just to make it happen. Because like, I I thought that maybe it was going to be the difference between life and death for the Rhino. Mm -hmm. I I, like, as, as much as, you know, as you say, jug of scrambled eggs, scrub to your bacon. They didn't make it. That was catered. That was brought in by the people who'd organized the event. Oh, well, that's fine. I mean, the Rhino is... It, you need the Rhino. You need a pub that doesn't quite work. Like, you always want it to be slightly better, but it's got the bones of something. You know, it's like, it's, it's brilliant in its own way. I always kind of felt that way about the Dominion. Yes. With the, <laughs> the like, Thursday night ukulele jam. And the, yeah, 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 yeah. The Tuesday night ukulele jam. Like, Why? All right, cool. Let's do it. And like, oh, what's the draft menu? Oh, it's okay. That's okay. We've got some really interesting stuff. But we can like, work with that. Yeah. yeah. And then sometimes, you know, musical acts from Austin, Texas that couldn't get into Canada because of drug convictions. <laughs> I think Wayne the Train Hancock. It's people like that. You know? Well, famously, a guy who now lives out west, but... Uh, What's his last name? Ronnie something. He played stand-up bass. He's an old bluegrass stand-up bassist. And he played at Castro's a lot. But he lived in a room in the Dominion above the bar. Really? Yeah, on like the fifth floor. And there was still a Bell payphone in his hallway that took nickels. No. And you could put a nickel in it and make a phone call. Uh, and and you could place incoming calls to it oh, so man. his phone number was that payphone and you would call this bell payphone and somebody would answer and you'd be like oh is ronnie around and they'd be like yeah let me look and then like you'd wait because they just set the receiver on top of the payphone and then maybe a little while later ronnie would come around and be like hey what's going on i never had to do this but i, I i've heard the stories that place yeah. was so decrepit man like when I wrote Lost Breweries of Toronto, in order to get the, uh, I don't know how I found out that he had the images for this, but the guy had, uh, who owned the Dominion, and maybe the entire building, had slides of the Dominion Brewery in operation. He only had the photographs as slides. So in order to use them for the book, the deal was he wasn't going to charge me for the rights, but I had to pay for them to be digitized. It's probably a good deal on his end. <laughs> oh, yeah, it probably was. I mean, but like... To this day, I think I, I have the digital rights to like 1890s photography of the Dominion Brewery in action. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, I should probably do something with that. You know, make a book or something. I don't know. Put it on a T-shirt. I don't know. <laughs> well, here it is, 11:10 p.m. This has been a long one. Um, uh, we'll wrap up. Anything you want to throw any light on? You got anything you want people to hear about? Are dozens of people uh, tuning in? Uh, I don't know, man. Like, I guess I'm the editor of the Growler now. Uh, oh, that's all right. I didn't know that had happened. That's cool. Yeah, it's a lot of work. I mean, I bet. I I I wish I were more excited about it, but I was already the listings editor, so it's like, here's more work. Okay. 
I, I was wondering the other day, uh, the Growler and what's the other one? OG, the, the original Gravity, is that it? Yeah, I think that one might be kaput. So that's what I was wondering is I was like, I wonder what the pandemic did to grassroots publication like that. I know the West End Phoenix seems to be holding up okay, but the more specific brewery uh, newspapers. I feel like Original Gravity could make a comeback. Like the, the quality of the writing was good. The fact you had the British uh, connotation. So you can borrow stuff from Pete and Adrian. It was regional though, right? So like there was like, here maybe not toronto that might be a little too specific but like sort of eastern ontario or not eastern eastern canada i mean yeah but they, they had other kind well, of i pubs. think Stephen was going to open like a, a west coast one so it was going to be alberta british columbia that kind of thing but didn't they also have like a u.s one and a uk one and stuff like that uk not u.s yet as far oh, as okay I my perception and and not based on anything more than just kind of vague perception was that there was sort of a, maybe a half dozen of different original gravities that they were kind of, I think only two. Oh, okay. Fair play. And as noted, maybe one. Yeah. Probably, probably just the UK one at the moment. I mean, it's, it's kind of a shame because you got these really talented writers um, and they need places to write yeah. and you need to be able to pay for that. So, I mean, it's like advertising based typically and, that's a really, I, so, I mean, the flip to that, we have a local paper, paper here on the beach called the Beach Metro News, which is, I mean, a local, local newspaper, um, sort of serving two square kilometers kind of of space. And uh, does it, does it like local enough that it has the sightings of various people's cats, that kind of thing? Yeah, like coming up on that. Yeah. Still haven't found the goose, like that kind of level of, uh, but, uh, no, it was swans, not geese, right? It was something on the swans. Um, but, uh, the Hyperk bugle still in search of capybaras. <laughs> but I mean, where they, I was about to say, make their money. Let's be honest where they don't quite pay their bills is advertising. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so what's funny is <laughs> this is how provincial it is. It's so sweet. Uh, if you deliver the beach metro news you probably just deliver it on your street sure so somebody shows up and they drop and i've seen it like they drop you know a couple of piles of you know plastic bound newspapers um and uh, and then you just you know you put them in a bag and you walk up your street and you give them to everybody on the street and down and back up to your house and you're done so if you do that you get two things you don't get money <laughs> but you get uh, um, not a subscription. There's some like elite level thing that you're now a beach because some people pay or something and you get that. I don't know what that gets you, but you get that. But the other thing is you get, uh, it's like a, a four centimeter by three centimeter square of advertising in the classifieds. Really? <laughs> it's yours. You can do anything you want with it if you deliver the paper. But what happens is our church has a lot of retiree or early retiree people who deliver their beach metro as a good excuse to get out and walk around the neighborhood and hand out some papers and get a bit of fresh air. Sure. Like, you know, peek over the fence in a meddling kind of way. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. You got to keep up, you know, have they fixed that, that shaky storm door yet? No, they haven't. Um, but then they all donate that advertising space to the church. 
So the church always runs these little classic, like, St. Aidan's in the beach. We're doing this and this and this and this and this today. And it's just this cute little, like I said, like it's it's print newspaper. So they're measuring it by the centimeter. But it's like you get this many by this many centimeters of advertising just in the classifieds. It's not that. You know, don't you think four color? No, it's black and white. You get text. <laughs> there's there's something so pure about that. It's just, you know, completely tit for tat, just like entirely earned. But then I also often wonder, like, I, I don't, but I should look through the classifieds and see if anybody else is using that space for just pure joy. Like, like on the one hand, you wonder maybe somebody's like trying to sell something completely unsellable. Like, uh, oh, um, tweed coat, seven moth holes, slight urine smell, you know? <laughs> but also, like, maybe if somebody just uses it to put like something cool, like, you know, a little piece of poetry or something, haven't looked. Sure. Typically, like, I use it to start the barbecue. The odd epigram, sure. Yeah, that'd be great. I'd love that. We've gotten completely sidetracked again. Yes, yeah. uh, so what Jordan's saying, pick up a copy of The Growler, available at breweries and better beer bars across the city. Is that right? Well, we're working on better beer bars. Currently, breweries for sure. But, yeah. you know, I feel like better beer bars might carry it if we paid a little more attention to them. Could do, could do. Uh, now remind me, it's more than quarterly, right? Is it's not is it's not monthly? Currently, we're actually biannual, but we're going back up to quarterly. I think after all this after COVID, yeah, yeah, nonsense is over. Before um, the pandemic, was it quarterly or slightly more than that? It was quarterly. Okay, like, I couldn't. I, I, yeah. I'm kind of good with quarterly. That's enough time. Uh, the, the problem you'll run into if you run a biannual beer magazine is like you're not really topical. Yeah. We have a website, so I'm going to try and get more features on that just so that there's like actual trend happening. You know, quarterly isn't quite fast enough to keep up with that. It is for the like the lay craft beer people, but in order to be relevant, you know, you need a little more than that. Now, this is a very interesting conversation that maybe we don't have to have online, but I, yeah. I could I could talk at, at length about that. That's an interesting proposition, which is the better angle. Yeah. I tend to think you might do better trying to carve out space not in the topical gossipy side but in the more well the thing is i don't want to do gossipy i mean i don't think that there's a lot of percentage in that uh you can't follow online trend in that way but if you can provide people with good information about like the, the emergent trends within craft beer like stylistically and all that stuff i think that people actually do have a hunger to learn about how that all works yeah. And Crystal was doing some great work with that, with like beer style stuff. But, you know, sometimes it'd be a little bit uh, catchy uppy as opposed to being like on the bleeding edge of the thing. And That's I think right. if you had like uh, more tutorial stuff, it might be a little more uh, vital. I think what you're talking about there too, specifically... That's the difference between explaining something to somebody versus introducing something to somebody. Whereas like, it would be better to be introducing people to things. Yeah. Uh, you have it, a little bit more cachet that way. Well, not only the cachet, but I mean, you get to define the conversation. Yeah. And if you do a good job at it, that's actually a very reasonable thing to be doing as a beer publication. You get to be a kingmaker. Never trust a kingmaker. They know where the bodies are buried. You'd hope. Uh, so that's cool. That's great. Fantastic. Congratulations. Uh, check that out. Um, and yeah, uh, Growler, it's a great, any print publication that's actually putting ink on paper and binding it seems 
uh, few and far between. So it's good to support people doing that. I like that. Um, other than that, if anybody watching wants to get involved, George Brown stuff that you're doing, how do they do that? Is that, uh, these are, you can do them as, as separate courses. You don't have to be enrolled kind of thing. Uh, yeah, it's, it's basically con ed. Um, but the good news is the certificate does carry a little bit of weight. It's from a culinary school of some repute. And oh, I have a certificate from that culinary school. Indeed. And see what it's done for you. Oh, gosh, I got a podcast and everything. Exactly. Um, currently, I don't think you can sign up for it at all because the school is being held on some kind of malware thing at the moment. Oh, good. Russians, no doubt. Well, I think the entire thing is shut down temporarily. I had a class tonight. It was very a damn near run thing seeing who was in the class. <laughs> yeah. Um, Yikes. Yeah. It's just a hazard of being on the internet in 2021. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a real risk, but uh, definitely a very cool course. Uh, I know when I was at George Brown myself as a student, um, beer course maybe didn't exist or was very new, but there was a very well-respected wine tasting course. And uh, it, uh, uh, yeah, they, they're... <laughs> Outside of the fact that, as Jordan says, they, they carry some weight when you have it, um, it's just it's a really good program. Um, and the facilities are amazing, although right now I'm sure you're all online. So, Well, I mean, for the online version, I've managed to build in um, about as much information as you can possibly build into 18 hours. Um, in terms of online instruction, we've come up with a lot of digital solutions for stuff. And for 117 bucks plus the cost of beer, I don't think you can do a lot better in Ontario. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah. Um, from that, uh, Ontario uh, Craft Beer Guide podcast, I got that name right. Uh, check them out. Uh, not a lot of Ontario beer podcasts. You, me, Ben. Beer and bullshit. Yeah. Beer and bullshit. Yeah, that's Ben. And um, uh, is that Australian fella? Is that the four elements? Oh, they're good. Yeah. I, yeah I've yeah. listened to them a couple of times. They're, they're all right. Yeah. There's some content out there, but uh, definitely check out uh, Robin and Jordan. Uh, really, really good stuff. Um, other than that, we're good. You're good. Yeah, I, I, like, you know. We're going to say goodbye in a second. You don't have to do anything. Just hang out because then we have a little after chat, you know? Sure. Yeah. Uh, got some gossip. I got a question for you, actually. All right. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll leave that until the after. Uh, but until then, hey, it's been a really long Monday night. I am tired as but as promised i got a good night's sleep last night and i am not falling asleep at my seat so i'm happy with that we got through four beers that has got to be a new record and we're both still in fairly good shape so not oh yeah I, I can't get drunk anymore it's fine this uh this haze very tasty i suspect i'm gonna wake up with some hot breath from this one it's gonna be like the good old days a few too many bone shakers in the next morning golly who <clears throat> anyway uh, good toothpaste that's what you need uh but uh, all these beers tonight from mascot very very cool spot as noted cool patios front and back now check them out on king street uh we are very thankful um jordan and i can get pretty in the weeds on this i want to be clear the haze is maybe not a beer i would go to all the time it's not bad but it's just pretty hoppy and i'm kind of moving into the, as Jordan said, my Carlsberg years, um, but all of them are very, very good. I got to give a really big shout out. I, I really did enjoy that very first one, the rice lager. Uh, yeah. Gosh, 
I could drink again. I'm moving into my girls' bar gears. I get it. I could have drank six of them and been very happy. Um, so rock, rock solid. So thank you to Mascot. Thank you to Jordan. Your time. It's been a ton of fun. Don't hang out enough anymore. Don't hang out with anyone anymore. So that's relatable. But what are you going to do? Uh, hey, next Monday, it's even closer than normal. Um, we're like a whole hour and 20 minutes closer than we normally are when I wrap up. But I will see you then. Don't know what we're doing. It'll be simple. It'll be simple. Because again, not a young man. I got to I gotta pace myself. Uh, can't, can't float too close to the sun too often. But uh, <laughs> careful, Icarus. That's right. Until then, have a good night. Take care of yourself. Take care of each other. And we will talk at you in seven days, give or take.